When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do you spell bounty hunter? What are you doing, writing your memoirs? It's personal. Dude, could you just, you know. What? You know. It stinks, did you? No. Well, it wasn't me. So roll down your window. Nah, man, there's something foul in here. It's coming from back there. Maybe it's your famous garlic mayo. No, no, that's not possible. Okay, maybe it is possible. Pull over, I gotta check. Forget it. You're imagining things. I gotta check. If those sandwiches are bad, people could get sick. Look, will you pull over? Dude, there's a body bag back here. The body in it. That's traditionally what you put in a body bag. Yeah, well, who is he? What happened? Don't worry about it, and don't tell anybody you saw him. Dude, what happened to him? His name's Alvarez. He was digging a hole and thinking about some chick named Andrea. Then he felt a sharp pain in his mouth, which turned out to be a filling from his tooth being yanked right out of its socket and blowing through his brain. Then he was dead. How does a feeling get blown through someone's head? Got me. Can we go now? How do you know all this? Because. I know. Yeah, but how do you know what he was thinking? I just know. You can talk to dead people. Can we please just go? Don't worry, dude. Your secret's safe with me. You want to know why? No. Because I can talk to him too. Thank you.
Lost is over, but we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps, talking season five, episode 13, Some Like It Hoth. Right off the top, I'm Josh Wiggler, and I got to tell you, uh, both you, the listener, you, Mike Bloom, uh, we got to warn you, right off the top, folks, there are going to be Star Wars spoilers in this podcast. Ah, a long time to go has segued into Down the Hatch. All the post-show recaps podcasts are merging. So There's just no way. There's no way to get, talk yeah, about if, this without talking about Star Wars. For some reason, you, you have remain unspoiled, and you're like, oh boy, better make sure I don't uh, check this out. I don't want to be spoiled on something that I've somehow kept my head in the sand you know, for a good number of yeah. years but not lost. Then this is this is your opportunity to get out of the van, folks. We, we know that there are some people out there who have not gone all the way through the Star Wars series. Uh, people who are in the Down the Hatch audience. D-Drum, looking at you. It's time. Uh, pause this podcast. Go finish your Star Wars marathon. At least get through Return of the Jedi. Because there's just no way to talk about it. We're reinventing the original Star Wars trilogy, Mike, and so we have to talk about it. Though I will note that it's interesting to me you began this podcast because you chose the sound this week on, from what my recollection, I think is the first fart joke that Lost has ever done, which is a major threshold to cross, in my opinion. Is it the first fart joke that Lost has ever done? I, I gotta feel like it is, right? Because I know we've had some, of course, like, indigestion, uh, gastrointestinal distress going on with Hurley, so I think we've had poop jokes, but I don't think we've had fart jokes before. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first time for everything, and listen, as we're here in the penultimate season of Lost, time is swiftly running out, so they got it in right under the wire <laughs> Uh, this the 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 poor famous garlic mayo's reputation being besmirched in this opening scene as we go down the hatch to talk about some like it Hoth the Miles episode. Mike Bloom, your favorite? Yeah, I mean, I think what I've sort of taken away from this is not that I necessarily. I think I've gone from like disliking Miles' portrayal throughout season four and the beginning of season five to being like. He's a solid supporting character, but he's not giving me much else. Yeah. Because you know? I think if we're looking on the grand scheme of Miles' arc, we're obviously going to have the stuff with the variable. Like, this is only the beginning of the Pierre Chang daddy issues segment that's going to bear out fruit, much more fruit, when, you know, the, the goose gets cooked, the cat's out of the bag, insert your animal analogy here, over the next few episodes. But I was trying to recall Miles' role in season six, and I almost feel like his role is more memorable or prominent in the sideways stuff. I know he's going to have a couple of moments where he's like holding Jacob's ashes and says that Ben's the one to kill him. He's going to have that moment where Sawyer is like basically threatening him to tell him what Juliet was thinking before she died. But I feel like if you're looking for the story of Miles Strom in this plane of existence, we're kind of reaching its apex right now, which I think is interesting. Yeah, uh, I think that that's right. I think we're we're going to go through the rest of the season. We're going to get the Pierre Chang stuff. Uh, and I do think that that is going to largely close, not quite close the book on Miles because he's definitely still around. But the big emotional thrust of the Miles story is going to be introduced and mostly resolved here. 
and it'll be nice because we'll see in the afterlife he's got a great relationship with his dad and stuff like that that's really fun but this is sort of like the introduction of his daddy issues his struggle through it and i think one way of viewing some like it hoff is that it's just a miles episode it's certainly a miles flashback episode so just on the official technical level this is indeed uh the miles centric episode of lost um but i was viewing it this last time and i would say that both miles as a character and this episode rises in estimation for me every single time i watch it i think with miles i didn't like him at the start i don't think i liked this episode all that much the first time i watched it every subsequent rewatch i've liked both things more and more to the point that i like them both quite a bit right now um but i think that the thing that hit with me this time around is some like it off almost feels to some extent like uh the spiritual sequel to trisha tanaka is dead uh it's mm. it's another like uh it's like a, a another little sort of like road trip comedy to a certain degree um it's really uh, it's really localized on family stuff hurley is obviously centrally involved and whereas before hurley was like crusading to find some measure of joy amidst a really terrible situation and being stranded and like how much he's lost. Libby has been, uh, you know, taken recently Um, that like, I think this time around you've got like a Hurley who's ready to impart some wisdom and indeed is going to exhibit a lot of the qualities that make him a fine candidate for leader of the Island in the way that he deals with a guy who's often rather mean to him. Uh, So I think this is a fabulous Hurley episode. Uh, Your mileage on miles, notwithstanding. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I absolutely agree. I very much got Trisha Tanaka vibes, not only from the perception, right? I certainly think at the time I talked about this a couple times before, right? There was so much interesting stuff going on that were like, all right, we're getting a Miles episode. And unlike what we're going to talk about next week, which I think has a lot more plot to be weighed, you know, there is certainly stuff going on in the background. I think that's another reason why maybe I'm not terribly high on this episode is because I think I could sort of take or leave all the other Dharmaville stuff. That more so to me, it feels like the the moving the chains. Okay, we have to get from like point A in whatever happened, happened to point C in the variable. And this is sort of like the transitional action in between. I absolutely got those Trisha Tanaka vibes in terms of, you know, straight down to the Dharma van. Hurley's even going to channel his own daddy issues that exist within uh, Trisha Tanaka. So, I mean, they're outright lampshading it. I think the issue is this is not nearly as good as Trisha Tanaka's day. Definitely not. I mean, it's, it, Trisha Tanaka, for me, is one of the elite episodes of Lost, of course. Um, I think Some Like It Hoth has risen about as high as it's going to go for me. But for me, that's it's relatively high. Uh, like I, I really do like it. I think it's a touching story. I think like they do the daddy issues thing that they do so often on Lost. I think they do it in a different way here, where uh, Miles has a chance Right, like mm-hmm. he still he still has time he's on the clock. He's not gone. He's right here. He's right here, and so I think that there's there's something really beautiful about that. And I and I think that like um, the what you're going to do with an opportunity that that is not lost yet, um, but maybe fleeting, maybe going. Um, I think it's like a is a is a fascinating kind of love story. Even you know, I think that uh, it's just it's a different way to do it than the show often does it, and I'm I'm happy with the way it's handled. Ultimately, I'm happy with the way it's set up here. I think it's fair uh, to Miles as a character that we finally do get some insight into him. Is this like 
electrifying stuff does it fully like you know uh propel us forward into into like in essential new territory moving forward probably not um but i think that there's a lot of good character stuff in this one i think it's a great vibes episode i think it is mm. probably uh this may be the last vibes episode oh of it's, Lost. Oh, it's, absolutely it's pretty close. safe to say that it uh, is yeah i don't <laughs> i don't think we're doing much stuff in season six along the lines of like Hey, we're just, you know, hanging out, uh, getting into some smaller character moments. Because again, season six, there's a war on. There's there gonna be still, big old things happening. Yeah. There's still some of those episodes in season six that like uh stand out to me as like, you know, what I had talked about not terribly long ago, like sort of like when all the stories are colliding and everybody's like moving, like when the chess pieces episodes are really lit. Like sometimes I really enjoy that. But as far as a vibes episode Trying to think, it, it, does season six have a single vibes episode? <laughs> does I Sundown count as a vibe so. episode? <laughs> no, well, I mean, it's a mood, you know? Uh, it's Certainly a, whole, a mood. It's a whole ass mood, Sundown. Um, is the candidate a vibes episode? Is yeah, I mean, what does, they does die for the- is a vibes episode. It's sad. It's sa- a, a very sad vibe. Does Across the Sea count as a vibes episode? No, I don't think so. I don't think that there's a vibes episode. You know, right? Uh, and I think that that actually is like uh, something that the final season is badly missing. In fact, uh, when when I'm thinking about it right now, because like if the argument for Lost is the characters and the mood and the tone and the music and the scene, there just isn't a lot of time for that. And there's, you know, the way that it's written, there's just really basically no room for it. Uh, for like the hangout episode. Uh, and I think that every season benefits from having a hangout episode. Um, yeah. And so this, this is it. This is the final, like, kind of like hangout episode of the show. I'd love to hear if people disagree with that take. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are definitely moments, I would say, in season six that might live in that vibe, but I don't think there's an entire episode. Though, again, I will say, I think my memory of this episode is I thought there was actually going to be more dedicated to the Miles and Hurley of it. I think there was certainly a good amount, but I was surprised at how much I misremembered how much was concentrating on a lot of that other Dharmaville stuff as well. And I mean, it, you know, it's again, it's it's needed. We need to move forward from the fact that baby Ben Linus is listening or missing and how are people going to recover from it? But I thought I I thought there'd be more Miles Hurley stuff. There is certainly a good amount in this two-hander, but I think compared to the last two-hander we just talked about in Dead is Dead, there's more of an even distribution. That might partially be due to the fact that maybe the writers do not necessarily put a lot of stock in a character like Miles, as we just talked about, uh, you know, with the role he's going to play throughout season six, that they're like, yeah, this is the Miles episode, but also there's a lot of other stuff going on, which, again, is another reason why I think it is a lesser episode to Trisha Tanaka. You know, Trisha Tanaka, they put a lot of weight, pun unintended, on the Hurley stuff that's yeah. going on, which, while it caused a lot of consternation at the time, it's a reason why I really enjoyed the episode in retrospect, because it sets up so much. I agree there is some DNA here as to how Hurley is able to handle situations in a more diplomatic method, especially compared to what we see from people like Sawyer in this episode. But I think there is so much less 
of a showcase of that than we got in Trisha Tanaka in favor of highlighting a character like Miles, who we didn't get too much of up to this point, as well as what's going on with this, you know, former love quadrangle and trying to essentially keep their guards up while everything's falling apart around them. Yeah, um, I think that that's interesting. I think that that's uh, for sure not unfair. Like, I think that that definitely fits as far as um, how this episode stacks up against an episode like Trisha Tanaka. It just strikes me that, like, it's been a minute since we've had the Hangout episode of Lost. Uh, right. The, I, the last thing, I mean, we talked about this. I think the last time we really had a Hangout scene, at least, we talked about the, the scene still being set up in Ben's house and Dead is Dead, but, like, the Risk game happening and the shape of things to come yeah, was, the it, la- was the last time I could really think of here are characters sitting down, like, yeah. really just waiting the calm before the storm, in a manner of speaking. I was going to say that that's the scene, uh, and I was looking at the season four episode list, and I just don't think that that episode exists in season four. Uh, I think that, like, this episode, Some Like It Hoth, feels kind of old school. Feels like first book of Lost in a mm. lot of ways. We ta- I think we talked about this with Something Nice Back Home, that I think that has the vibe as well. I think, especially the idea of, like, the Jack Appendicitis stuff, right, that people complained that was too low stakes, and I think I said at the time that that did feel very... First well, that book feels, of Lost. That feels first book of Lost in like maybe not like the most flattering way. It's not uh, vibey, that's y- for sure. That's what I'm saying is that like I think some like it Hoth is not like uh you know King of the Mountain in terms of some of the some of like the just like a couple of characters or a bunch of characters going off on a camping trip a la Catch-22 or whatever. You know, like I feel like mm. some like it Hoth has those elements um probably not at the at the highest level compared to some of the other episodes we could uh you know put it in the same company as and i don't think like that kind of thing has happened in a long time on the show uh since we've been talking about it on the podcast at least and i think it's not really going to happen again uh so i would like to pour one out yeah uh, let's an pour era. out an entire vat of garlic mayo <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Mix I don't know. Does, with the ranch, Mike. Oh, God. Does that, does aioli keep, I wonder, I know that you are obviously not a mayo household given its components, but I wonder if Emily knows if garlic mayo does keep, especially in the humidity of the jungle. Let me text Emily right now. She's in the middle of working, so I may not get a swift response. Let's see. Let's uh, author this uh, text. Uh, Dear Emily, stop. <laughs> Does garlic oh, good. mayo <laughs> keep? Stop. Oh, I texted stop. Uh, anyway, uh, this is for a podcast. Stop. I thought you were going to say know. this is Josh, by the way. Thanks. Uh, fine, let me do that. In parentheses, this is Josh, by the way. I think and you're, you're definitely I say stop one more not time? coming... Yeah, you're definitely not going to come Stop. across at all like someone had taken your phone by saying, this is definitely Josh. Not uh, coming across as suspicious whatsoever. All right, she's responded. She says, keep? Question mark? Yeah. Keep. Yeah, does it, does says, it get all skanky says, in the sun? Like, keep me up at night. Uh, well, we know the answer to that. Keep as in, will it, uh, will it store say, will, for a will, while? Will it get stanky in the sun? Will garlic mayo get stanky in the sun? Hang on. Yeah, okay, so I've asked the question. As opposed to stanky in the gin. She says, sealed? Yes. If it's sealed, like Kiss from a Rose style, Mike, Mm -hmm. uh, the garlic mayo will keep. Okay. To be fair, I believe the mayo was used on sandwiches that were wrapped, so I guess, is is that enough cover to make it keep? Uh, Probably not. She says, once the seal is broken, then it probably lasts a while in the fridge. If it's 
fresh garlic than I'd say a week. It's not. That's not fresh. That's garlic. not fresh we know, garlic. We know and, Dharma. That's not fresh garlic. And if it's not fresh garlic. Uh, let's see what she says to that. Uh, yeah, because I think I think we need to like Hurley's great for stopping the truck to like be legitimately scared that he might poison everyone working at the orchid, and we want to see if his claims were valid here. Yeah, if it's not fresh garlic, uh, would it keep? If it's fresh garlic, I understand why it would it would uh, be. You know, that stuff is uh, if it's not like dried out. If that's like a fresh ingredient. Mm-hmm. I think people could potentially be in uh, severe danger if that's. Uh, if that if that turnaround time is is not quick, so we'll find out from Emily uh, if it's not fresh garlic what the time would be. But there are some answers right there from our local chef expert, our culinary expert Emily Fox, who we call upon every week in our lost food segment here on Down the Hatch. That's just a heads up for people who are joining the podcast. Of course, they were just the hop, hop again for some reason mm-hmm. for some like yeah. it. Uh, you know what, Ken Lang? I'm, I know you're tuning in just for this podcast only. Welcome. Happy to have you. I will say, uh, it actually comes with with good timing that we're talking about this, because Ken Lang is uh, recently starring in the hit mimetic M. Night Shyamalan film, Old. Is he an old? Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer, and like I saw him, he was a part of it. Because I, I actually do feel like, when it comes to what the Lost main cast did after Lost... I kind of feel like Ken Lang, unfortunately, like hits the bottom in terms of projects done after Lost. I can't think of a lot of stuff that he's done once the show packed up. Um, I so he is on the new-ish HBO show called Industry that I know a lot of people really like. He's been there. Uh, he had an arc on the blacklist. He um, was in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. He was in The Force Awakens. He was uh, on the much maligned, uh, but still like you know relatively big uh, project, uh, the Marvel show Inhumans. Um, oh God, he was. Yeah, he yeah. played Karnak. He was Karnak in in, in Inhumans. Uh, he was on the Night Shift. Uh, oh yeah, that that was the the Hugh Laurie. Uh, no, that's the night. That's the night manager. Oh, uh, Jesus, there's too many people at night. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people running around at night. It was a medical drama that he was on. He's definitely been working for sure. Uh, you know, he's de- he's definitely been doing stuff, but I think he's been he's been choosy, and I think people really are digging, uh, or at least I don't know if it's continuing. Nope, it is. It's been renewed. People really liked industry, which I did not check out, uh, and I am I am interested in at some point doing that. Um, I think that this episode is a real showcase for him. I think he does really really great work. Uh, I I love the like sort of uh, like the emo Miles look. Oh, we're we're gonna talk of about course. punk rock Miles. That I, is a choice. It's such a, a choice, but I kind of love the choice. Like I'm not laughing at it the same way that we're cracking up at Michael Emerson playing a 20 year old. Still laughing, at it. <laughs> you know, like. I I think that like they pull it off in a way that's like jarring here like no doubt about it it's like super jarring but it feels so great that like the guy who miles becomes who we know who is like so standoffish to so many people that he's got those like hot topic roots is just such a great note that i really really love that they don't bother to explain because they do not nope. need to <laughs> if this were season three though mike we may get a how miles got his nose piercing episode no, it would be that we'd spend much like Par Avion. Remember when we had Brunette Claire? Like we'd spend an entire episode in that one scene, right? Uh-huh. Of Hot Topic Miles being like, "All right, I need to." Like Mom told me that my, that my dad died a while ago. He doesn't want to see me. I need three more piercings. Come on, let's head off to the boardwalk. 
Yes. Oh, my God. All right. So let's get into this episode. Let's do some Like It Hoth. It's directed by... Ooh, it's a Jack Bender episode. I didn't realize it was a Jack Bender episode. Uh, so he's directing this. Melinda Sue Taylor and Gregory Nations are the writers. It originally airs April 15th, 2009. It centers on ya boy, Milestrom, and we begin with him as a boy, as a young lad, uh, which I like because I, I love that this, you know, when you can locate this, this is just like a few years, but this is what, like maybe like seven, eight years yeah, after. I believe when Mrs. Chang, or I guess we should call her Mrs. Strom, signs a check, I think it's dated like 1985. So this is yeah. eight years after the incident. Oh my God, now I'm a baby boy in this episode. Uh, so we see uh miles's mother is trying to rent an apartment um and uh the landlord is like kind of grilling her the landlord's kind of creepy huh no the, no the landlord's an ass yeah like not even creepy He's should being, we like, well, be the landlord i was getting close to it i think there were other candidates i think had there been uh less egregious things on display by some other people from the dharma initiative maybe he would be up for it but like yeah, first off, he uh, it, it's seedy, right? $400 for an apartment. Uh, I don't know, maybe in 1985, that would be considered run-of-the-mill. But that seems absolutely wild to yeah. me. Absolutely bananas. But this guy coming in being like, oh, well, you got a young kid. Uh, well, they don't like people who make noise. Like, do you not think adults can make noise, no. sir? You think children are just automatic noisemakers? Uh, and then, you know, he's also asking for like, well, if you got a kid, then I got to ask for two months. Like, he's trying to squeeze so much money out of poor Mrs. Miles here. Uh, he's an absolute jackass, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I do think that there are other candidates that show up, but maybe we can evaluate the deeper we go. But he's being terrible. Meanwhile, little Miles is going on a little excursion to the vending machine. Uh, and unfortunately, he is going to have that excursion interrupted by hearing a dead body in room four uh and so his mother and the landlord show up and young miles so cute by the way i love young miles a lot he's he's cute he does a good job of looking just absolutely bewildered at everything going on even before he finds out he can talk to dead people when he wanders he's like mommy can i have a quarter he's just wide-eyed at each and everything so he's a he's a born gawker and i love it just it's just such a contrast to who he becomes uh but he's like uh he was scared he was all low on his chest heard he kept calling out for kimberly the pink ranger uh (laughs) and then the landlord's like Kimberly died last year, and then Miles goes, no, no, Amy that, Jo no, that was Johnson, Tommy. No! It was Tommy. I oh saw the movie. God. It hasn't <laughs> come out for years at this point, but I know what happens. Yeah, but he says, I can hear him. I can hear him. Uh, so, like, I think it's very effective because the kid, like, is in such distress, and he sells it. I actually think that this is some of the best kid acting on the show. I really like this kid. I think he's fine. I think the the I think he does a good job with it. I think there have been better kid actors on the show. Uh, but you know that he can. I can hear him. I can hear him. Is definitely not the worst that we have seen. Uh, in terms of delivery, especially in comparison to like I know he's supposed to be several years older than Aaron, but I think considering that's the kid we've been used to in terms of uh kid acting. But it's interesting because I think this is the first time we get, and maybe the only time we get Miles' vision essentially, where we get like. We don't see fully what he's seeing, but I think they do some interesting stuff from a cinematography perspective, right? Where they do, like, sharp cuts to the dead body, uh, and, you know, we're going to see Miles later on what happens when he actually talks with the dead. He sort of, like, whispers to himself. I feel like we haven't gotten that much of a peek 
into what exactly he sees. And I think that's a larger microcosm of the fact that we haven't seen much behind Miles' eyes in general this entire series. So I think we're going to see much more of what he's thinking and then some in this episode. Um, all right. So that's the flashback that uh, that kicks us off. Um, and so then we return to the island uh, and Miles is on the radio with Sawyer. He's being told to, like, erase the the camera footage, basically, from the Sawyer and Kate mission. Right. So, because, again, we, we took a bif- brief sojourn for Dead is Dead, but we might remember back in the 70s, Kate and Sawyer just absconded with baby Ben Linus, gave him over to Richard Alpert, who took him within the temple, and now they're on their way back to essentially try to cover essentially a kidnapping from a dharma medical facility yeah so that's the move and like sawyer's like telling kate like i got this i'm head of security it's no big deal uh i just love the confidence of uh of of lafleur as just yeah and, and i mean to be fair he's been doing a pretty immaculate job so far but we're gonna start to see the seam showing spoiler alert uh no mvp points for sawyer this week the current mvp leader for season five, uh, because I think he does not necessarily have this. There's just too much else going on. Um, all right, so um, Horace Goodspeed is gonna is gonna come to Miles. He wanted to go to Sawyer for something. He has a thing to give to Rosinski. Uh, we need to do. We need. To, we need. We need someone to go on this fetch quest, Miles. <laughs> yeah, you're in the circle of trust now. But this is essentially this would be like if you gave an NPC right the uh, the the big magical gauntlet to deliver because it does beg the question of like what is the hierarchical structure within the security team? Like Horace still seems like the boss, but it seems like he's more the invisible hand. That Sawyer is the one in charge. But like, does Miles? get lucky in a manner of speaking because he happens to be here? Because I wonder, when it comes to the team, who outranks him? Who who, who ranks better, him or Jin, do you think? Like, who's, in, ter- who in terms is, of the greater Dharma? Um, yeah. I mean, I think just based on what the Sideways universe looks like, you know, Sawyer kind of looks at Miles like his guy, right? Like, I think, like, Miles is, is sort of like uh, Sawyer's, is second in, uh, Sawyer's second in command, it kind of feels like. Um, yeah. But also, like, Jin just, uh, I don't know, like, Sawyer and Jin, who have, like, such chemistry from earlier in the series, don't seem to have too much going on with each other uh, here in the Dharma days. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of that, frankly. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some stuff that gets brought up in this episode that I'm like, oh, I kind of wanted to see that actually happen and not just told about it. And I, I would love to see, again, Jin sort of like fades into the background once we go to 1977. He has this place's death and then kind of just hangs out after that. I, I do wonder, because again, Sawyer has this relationship with Jin, but it seems like Miles might be the more competent security person overall. So like, who gets the preferential treatment here? And of course, we know they both outrank Phil no matter what. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I wonder where Phil falls in the hierarchy. Phil's certainly going to like angle for the promotion later on. Um, all right, so he's he's welcomed into the circle of trust, and so Miles comes to Rosinski, uh, and when he goes to Rosinski, Rosinski is automatically awful. Uh, he's just <laughs> automatically horrible. awful. It's an amazing way to describe his character. Rosinski is automatically awful. Uh, he's like he holds a gun on Miles. Miles has a great line that I really love. Horace sent me. I'm in the circle of trust. Yeah, like okay, I guess like he. This is what he believes is the Dharma's version of what lies in the shadow of the statue, right? Uh-huh. I'm like okay, I guess if I throw out the term circle of trust. 
that will help. Uh, and the thing about this Miles is, again, I feel like Miles' character has softened a bit. He's a little less smarmy than he was three years ago, but there's still some really funny Miles lines in this episode. And, you know, the fact that it turns out the, the, the big package that Horace gave Miles was a body bag, and this guy Alvarez, as was mentioned in the opening, is being delivered, and it's like, uh, you know, oh, he fell in a ditch. The ditch had a gun? The ditch had a gun? Uh, and Rizzi's like, your job is to do what I tell you to do. Shut up, Rizinski. Oh, I hate you so much. I got can, can I also so say, like, I'm 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 wavering between giving an LVP point to Rizinski because one thing has become abundantly clear within Dharmaville. The secret of the swan is out. Yes. Like all this stuff about like, oh my god, he saw my toothpick model. What's going to happen? It's it's out. It's happening. If you notice, Pierre Cheng, despite working at a completely different station the entire episode, is wearing the insignia of the Swan yes. on his uniform. We see Daniel Faraday at the end of this episode. The Swan logo is on his uniform. Yes. When when Sawyer and Juliet had that romantic dinner in Lafleur, there's a Swan logo on the wine bottle. This is the worst kept secret within the Dharma ranks whatsoever. Everyone knows about this super secret project, and I kind of feel like that's Rosinski's fault. Yeah, uh, if you're asking me, should you give Rosinski an LVP point? My answer is going to be yes, absolutely, every time. I'm Any between possible... a couple. I'm, I'm between a couple of people. We'll we'll get to it at the end. But I I have one that is sort of like a, a free space on the bingo card that I have reserved for a couple folks. Any possible opportunity to give Rosinski an LVP point, I am going to tell you to take advantage of. Uh, so yeah, I'm fully in favor of that. Uh, so the ditch had a gun, apparently. Uh, Rosinski and his cronies walk away, and now that he is alone with the body, the B-O-D-Y, Miles is gonna take a look at it, lean in in the back seat and go, okay, so what really happened? Uh, which is fun, fun little stinger, uh, you know, like, to see, like, Miles alone at work, because we really haven't gotten too, too much of this. No, we, so we had the, his first flashback scene in Confirmed Dead, and then we had him being like, oh, uh, you know, Danielle Russo's buried right there. That, those are really the two big moments that we, oh, and I guess he did, yeah. uh, he did read Naomi, right? Yeah, he's done this stuff before, but I feel like, you know, being kind of alone with the character in a moment like this, is it, it feels a little different. You know what we I mean? Haven't, we, we haven't been Again, that flashback scene is the only time yeah. Miles has not, like, been with another character. Uh, you know, e- even when he's, like, talking with the other Kahana people, I feel like he certainly has an angle. So, yeah, it's, it's a rare opportunity in many ways in this episode to see how this character behaves when he's alone and or unmoored from all the island stuff. Um, so we next go to another flashback, and this is the guy, punk rock emo Miles. Uh, before we listen in, do you want to just like, you know, he comes by, his his mother is not doing well, he's going to see her uh, before she passes, she mm-hmm. seems very sick, uh, and uh, he's he's got like a streak in his hair, like sort of like a, thun- oh, like a silver thunderbolt, God. he's got like a thousand piercings. Uh, and like, I love it. I love it. I think it's great. I love the hot topicification of Milestrom. It is what it is, is a personification to me of for the Pokemon fans out there. If you're like, draw a dual, uh, poison dark gym leader, that's what Miles looks like. 
right? Like he has the spiked hair, like you said, with like the lone skunky silver streak in it. Uh, like he got struck by lightning and that's what gave him powers. His piercing, so I counter, I think he has obviously one on each ear. Uh, I think he has two on his left eyebrow, but of course the most prominent ones are like the little studs sticking out in that, uh, in that soul patch area, right? The area immediately below the mouth. So clearly Miles has been trying to cope. It's become clear that I guess in the years since that horrific incident, like he has become the black sheep of the family, probably estranged from his mother, because by the time he comes to her deathbed, he clearly hasn't seen her in quite some time. But oh my God, it's a look. It's an incredible, incredible look. And good on Ken Luang for trying to sell this to the best of his ability. I think I'm, I've decided that I'm fully sold. I've decided that I'm 100% sold on it. I love it. I want the further adventures of like young Ghostbuster, Miles Strom. Uh, that is a character that I want to know a lot more. Uh, certainly in Lost 2, we get a lot more flashbacks involving young Miles. Can I go three for three in our I think you should leave references and say that when he went to the piercing parlor, do you think he was the old guy that was uh, <laughs> sitting there giving advice to the little girls about everything he experienced when he got his piercings done at Claire's? I think that that's right. He did the test, the video testimonial for yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's let's listen in. Sound number one as Miles is going to be bedside with his mother and we are going to really get the crux of the episode in this exchange. Ma? It's me. Miles. I'm I'm sorry that I couldn't make it by sooner. It's okay. You're here now. Why did you come, Miles? I need you to tell me why I'm this way. How I do the things I do. And I need to know why you won't talk to me about my father. Because he never cared about us. Never cared about you. I need to know where he is, Ma. It doesn't matter where. It does matter. Miles, please. I have a right to know. He's dead. Your father kicked us out when you were just a baby. He didn't want anything to do with us. So the less you knew about him, the better. Why don't you just tell me? Because it was over. Your dad has been dead a long time. Where's his body? Somewhere you could never go. I gotta say, Ken Lang sells it as best he can of, you know, being truly apologetic. Probably the last conversation he has with his mother when he is wearing the nightmare for a metal detector on his face Mm -hmm. the entire time. 
I think he 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 really does like the sorrow of this guy. Like this is like his last opportunity to like resolve something that like all the ghosts in the world won't be able to tell him. Uh, at least as far as he knows. Uh, and I think uh, it's it's a it's a really it's a really sad notion of that broken relationship between uh, parent and child, especially because like the relationship effectively does not even exist in the, in the first place. Uh, so there's that. That's obviously going to be the big. Uh, driver of this episode other than uh, Miles himself driving with Hurley. <laughs> um, my, I have a question. Go I, ahead. Um, she says that, uh, that her husband is dead, that Miles' father's dead, and that he died a long time ago. Um, but we have seen him make orientation videos, so we know that he survives the incident. We know that he makes it to the Swan Station at the very least because we see him, unless they green screened him, which I don't think that they really could have effectively done to that degree yet. S- speaking um, of uh, Star Wars, do you think maybe George Lucas did like a remastered version that CGI'd Pierre Chang in there? One no, I think, I think the implication is he survived the incident, but not the purge. Well, the purge wouldn't have would it have happened at this point i mean i guess uh what right when- we, talk- we talked about this last week it could be 1987 or it could be 1992 i think is the range if, i mean this is definitely past 92 anyway um but was this a does this qual like what what year is this does it qualify as a very long time ago and also how would she know that he died in the purge i guess my question mike because this is all we get as far as what happened to Pierre Chang is we hear from her that he's dead. He died a long, long time ago in uh, this very galaxy. <laughs> Do we have to take that as gospel? Is there a read of loss that Pierre Chang does not die? Where is he pulling a Rosen Bernard and like hiding out in a spider hole on the island and he has like a Saddam like beard where Hurley finds him in the new man in charge just hiding away to record new videos? Maybe he's Pierre Chang and he's so ill and this is a warning he can't be killed. That's true. He's got to have that son, Ben, who's Miles's half brother who becomes a Spanish teacher in Colorado. I genuinely uh, am wondering, though, like, does he have to be, like, I, I don't know that I, I necessarily need to take this as a canonical answer that Pierre Chang is, uh, is no longer with us. I mean, it'd be, it'd be really fun. It'd be a great way to bring Francois Chow into any future Lost projects, unless you want to create, like, his twin brother, you know, who happens to show up on the island like, oh, what happened to my brother? Well, you can just put me in the same exact lab coat. He doesn't use his proper name anyway, so nobody will know. I'm not sure. And, you know, I was really wavering whether I should give like a Pierre Chang LVP point or a Mrs. Chang LVP point. Because, I mean, Mrs. Chang does essentially spurn Miles and plant this image in his head of like, your father never loved you. Stay away from him. But we're going to find out in, I think, Follow the Leader, right? Once they actually start sending people off the island, that it's like the Harry and the Hendersons, Pierre Chang had to purposely withhold information and be extremely, you know, uh, dominating to his wife because he wanted to make sure that she didn't come back and like make sure that, she has the son that ends up traveling back in time to do this, right? Like, he is... We'll talk about it. I think Pierre Cheng has a concept of whatever happened happened in his head uh, when he ends up, you know, sending his wife and son away, which I can imagine is a pretty heartbreaking moment. So, despite him being called a douche in this episode, I do think there are methods behind what he does. I think, to your point, the question is, 
how much of this is true, right? Like, Mrs. Cheng is obviously speaking from a very biased perspective. I don't think she's necessarily protecting Miles. I do think she genuinely has resentment towards Pierre Cheng for sending her away because he never told her in however many years that he survived after the incident, like, hey, BT Dubs, this is what happened, assumingly because he feared that she would want to come back and possibly put them in more danger. I'm not entirely sure, or he knew it had to happen. But it does beg the question as to, like, did he just get wiped away in the purge, or could he have been off-island during that fateful day and is living somewhere on-island or off-island to this day? I hope uh, he's out there, because Miles survives this series, and it would be lovely for, like, as they're leaving, Richard Albert's like, so what was your deal? We never really got to talk until, like, we joined up with Frank to, like, fix this plane. You want to just, like, catch up? And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, did you ever watch any of those Dharma? Of course. Yeah, you know, I was uh, uh, Pierre Chang's kid. He's like, oh, Pierre Chang was one of the good ones. We shipped him out on the island. We tipped him off. Don't stick around. We're about to kill all your friends. And he's like, wait, what? He's alive? Yeah, yeah, I'll take you there. Uh, like, that'd be nice. Well, yeah, because I would imagine, look, if Ben can go under all those pseudonyms, why doesn't he enlist the same thing to maybe he's one of those uh, one of those agents of Ben that was just hanging out there and luckily did not get you know, uh, end up at the pointy end of a knife in a dishwasher or anything. And it's just like hiding out under Marvin Campbell in the middle of like Kansas or something. And he's like, oh, my son's here. Yeah, okay, I'll check him out. See if he's on the level. Get to hang out with him again. Finally grab that beer. Yeah, that would be fun. I like that. I think it'd be great. Um, all right, back in the in the present, which is the 1970s, um, Miles uh, is going to reunite with Horace. Like, did you bring the package? And Miles is like, oh, you mean the corpse? <laughs> yeah. uh, you got to bring this to Dr. Chang. Uh, Miles does not. This is so classic MMORPG. This is like mm-hmm. peak Final Fantasy 14 of like, thank you for completing your duty. Now you have to go do this other quest where you have to bring this next thing to a different character. And then after you do this 10 more times, maybe, just maybe, we'll advance the story. Right, it's it's, it's the red paperclip thing, right? Like, that's usually, it's the trade quest. This isn't necessarily a trade quest because the majority of time he is with one thing. But yeah, if this were an RPG, it'd be like, thank you for this body. Now, please take this dossier to Pierre Chang at the Orchid, where you're essentially trading one object for another. Miles is going to be courting Mr. Alvarez around for quite some time here. Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, so that is uh, that is the journey that he is on. Um, meanwhile, uh, he is uh, he runs into Hurley, who has signed out the van. They're going to carpool together, and Miles is like, "No, yeah, I don't want exactly, to carpool." Because again, this is uh, this is its own sort of mini arc, right? Of like, don't get your cover blown. Uh, not to mention, again, Hurley and Miles have had very little interaction together. So Miles is just like, "All right." Keep your head down, uh, I think especially in this case, because he obviously knows what's going on with Pierre Chang. There's a pit in his stomach, a ditch that has a gun in his stomach that is developing when he hears he has to drop, not only cart around this body so that nobody notices, but also drop it off with his what he considers his deadbeat dad. And now Hurley has to come along for the ride where he can... If he knows anything about Hurley, he knows that Hurley is no good with secrets and never was. So, like, it, it's a recipe for disaster that involves some garlic mayo. Yeah, just a touch, just a little dash. Um, Kate is going to come to Juliet and give her the update about uh, we gave Ben over to the others. Thank you so much for sending Sawyer. That was very helpful. Uh, and as they're catching up, like, gold friends, these two, which is nice. Um, Roger shows up. He's like, hey, where's my kid? I'm like, 
Um, so I was gone for 10 minutes and I don't know where he is uh, now. Okay, so here's the thing. Roger Linus is a dirtbag. We have established it that much. I I don't completely hate him in this episode because I think, to be completely candid, his ire is absolutely deserved. They left for 10 minutes and his son was kidnapped. What kind of malarkey is that? I think he has every reason to be furious at Dharma in general for letting his dying son out of their grasp. It's not awesome. <laughs> it's not It's not awesome. I mean, I'll also say he doesn't have a great way of compartmentalizing it later. We'll get to that in the schoolhouse with Schoolhouse Rock, Schoolhouse Black Rock. But, like, I think he is justified to be a little bit like, Wait a minute, my dying son just got taken and you weren't around to stop it? What the hell, lady? Yeah, uh, so he's upset and, like, I don't know that he's necessarily wrong for being upset. He still sucks. Let us just be very clear about that. Um, but perhaps there is, uh, there is there is some reason, there's some rationale for why he is not the greatest. And Juliet, um, I, I love, uh, Juliet's such a freaking good actress. Yeah. Uh, not even like Elizabeth Mitchell, like the character of Juliet, where she's like, oh my god, Roger, I'm so sorry. It's We're gonna fix this. And you know, as Roger bangs into the train on the way out, she just immediately turns to Kate coldly and says, well, here, here we, we go. go. So here she we can go. turn it on like a freaking light switch, man. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So the next scene is what we heard at the top of the pod. Uh, the, the potential poop joke. Um, Hurley and Miles. How do you spell Bounty Hunter? Hurley is working on his screenplay already. I'm- I love those freaking marbleized Darba notebooks. Like, I seriously wish they had given those away because I would have scrawled the shit out of those uh, when I was, you know, in school. I also think it has a brand new logo. Uh, I think this is like the schoolhouse Dharma logo because I don't think we ever see it again, but it is definitely different from all the other ones we've seen. Yeah, go to Dharma school. Um, so this is where he he like he starts to investigate the potential of his foul garlic mayo. It is not that. It is a body. Uh, it's this dude, Alvarez, thinking about Andrea, uh, the tooth and the filling in his tooth that blew out his socket and threw his brain. His fillings and, hurt. Uh, his fillings really hurt. He stopped by the fillings wall, which was a huge mistake. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. Out. Is he part of the fillings wall, though? When you know they, because we know about the spirits that can't move on. Do you think he's part of that wailing wall, in a manner of speaking, that takes up the hatch in two thousand four? Yeah, uh, I think as Desmond walks past that, and he's getting his feelings hurt. He's getting his feelings hurt by one of the fillings in the wall. I'm Alvarez's filling. You suck, Desmond. Yeah. Hey, tell Andrea I said hi. Oh, you can't because you can't leave the island. Yeah, because you suck. You suck. You're an idiot. You're terrible. Yeah, exactly. So this is by the way, this re- is great timing as we're uh, in the garlic mayo scene again. As I've heard back oh, from amazing. Emily about the what if it's not fresh garlic, she says then the mayo is probably jacked up with preservatives. They usually do this in a way that makes stuff extraordinarily shelf stable. Okay, so actually it might do better if it's not fresh because it's not exactly uh, the most authentic, right. but it's loaded with stuff that might help its shelf life. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Hurley might be in the clear here, but I good on him for at least looking out on it. What I do like about the Hurley-Miles dynamic is how much Miles finds an unlikely ally in Hurley, right? Like, Hurley is actually the perfect person for Miles to be speaking with in this episode. They have so much surprising stuff in common, not just the daddy issues, but Hurley's basically going to tell Miles here, right? Like, oh, dude, I've got the same power. Uh, in fact, his power is actually a lot better than what Miles has. That that was my realization from this episode. Is like, Miles, this is this is cool, but like you're the speed dim- demon in comparison to like uh, Quicksilver in Hurley. Like, yeah, you can do stuff, but Hurley can do much better stuff. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out which one I like more. Um, I think they're both really scary. These very I, spooky her, her, powers. Her, I feel like Miles has a limit, though, right? He says he can only read the last thing that people thought of hurley can flat out have conversations with them about everything he can fill in the entire book miles has an excerpt yeah but i think maybe i just want the excerpt <laughs> you just you don't you don't want to find out the whole I don't story know. i don't know maybe i don't know i think hurley probably does have like the advanced thing um and maybe that's going to be part of the reason why miles doesn't want to talk to him anymore. It's like you got my power but cooler Sawyer's got my mean jokes, but better. Yeah. Everybody's got I my have? stuff. Yeah. What's Miles' moment, man? You had the best hair, and then you changed it. Um, so that's the I can speak to dead people. That's uh, Hurley's Haley Joel Osment moment. <laughs> Billy Wallace is shook. Um, yeah, and, and it hasn't happened yet. Hurley could make it. He could rewrite The Sixth Sense if he wants he to. He could speaking if he wants to. Speaking of M. Night Shyamalan. Or The Fourth Force. Um, let's go to sound two. It's a flashback. I wanted to listen to this because it is Hank Schrader himself, mm-hmm. Dean Norris of Breaking Bad fame, in a very uh, like totally innocuous guest starring role on Lost that I always forget about until I get there. Uh, and I did want to hear it because... like. He just brings so much Hank Schrader gravitas. Uh, Dean Norris is just such a terrific actor that even just in this very extraneous scene, basically, he does a really, really, really good job. Uh, And I did not want to deny us the opportunity to hear Dean Norris on a podcast if we have that opportunity. So let's listen in. Sound number two. If you don't mind, Mr. Gray, can you tell me what happened to him? Last Labor Day weekend, a driver ran the light. How was that? Where's your son buried? We cremated him, scattered the ashes on the football field at school. But what I do, it's much better if there's a body. If 
But your ad said you could communicate with the dead anytime, anywhere. I know what my ad says, Mr. Gray, but he's... I just want you to ask him. Did he know that I love him? It's going to cost extra. Please give me your hands. I want you to concentrate on Russell. Just get a picture of him in your head. Can you do that? Your son says he knew that you loved him. He always knew. Thank you. Sorry for your loss. It's an interesting turn for Dean Norris because I feel like he's known for playing the a hole, right? Like Often, Hank, Sh- yeah. Hank Schrader was sort of the a hole for a while. I feel like Under the Dome. Right, that was the he played the big bad in that. Uh, maybe Hank Schrader showed a little bit like a hole with a heart of gold, but like, I mean, maybe the char- it's sort of implied that the character was maybe a bit of an a hole prior to his son's death. But like here, very much hat in hand, very remorseful. Yeah. Here's one more thing that Hurley and Miles have in common: they both have incredible tells when they're lying. Miles cannot make eye contact with no this eye dude contact. when, he, when yes. he tells him that. Oh, oh yeah, uh, his, son, his son said that he knew it. Uh, it's fine. Here, take, I'll take your money. Goodbye. Yeah, I think uh, without spoiling Breaking Bad, like I think the the role that he plays on Breaking Bad, it's not a spoiler to say like he presents one way, and then the show like gives him a lot of opportunity to exhibit a ton of range. Uh, exactly. I think that the Hank Schrader character is actually like so much. It, it's not even I think the Hank Schrader character definitively is so much more than he appears. It's just like a very complex guy with a really great arc. Um, well, we should um, we should also note the fact that I do believe he was probably filming Breaking Bad at this time, right? Pretty it, close, if not well, yet. Well, it aired, the first season aired in the beginning of 2008. Uh, remember, it only filmed seven episodes because of that writer strike that ends up kneecapping Lost Season 4 as well. So, like, I got to imagine this is during production of Season 2 or maybe 3 when he's doing this thing. Um, so, it, yeah, it premieres. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's already in Hank Schrader mode. Um, I wonder if it's the kind of thing, was Dean Norris just like a Lost fan? Uh, and so they brought him in, or is it that like Lindelof and Cuse were already early adopters of Breaking Bad before like the binge groove really got it? I wonder, but I'm glad that it happened. We do get one more scene with him in this episode, and I just yeah. I do love that like uh, in like the the pantheon of Lost, we have uh, even the slightest bit of Dean Norris is better than no Dean Norris mm-hmm. at all. Um, and it's also like this is a sad scene where like. Um, Miles like kind of doesn't want to do this and then he's just like all right I'll take your money and I'm just going to lie to you this poor oh, yeah. sh- this poor schmuck who's just going to be totally lied to and I'm not even going to use my gift I'm just going to use the reputation to take some money I mean this clearly hits a nerve with him yeah. right like he is speaking with 
a father who is like, I never loved my son. And I'm sure Miles is like, God, I wish that, you know, did my father love me? He probably didn't. Like, if only I had a father who loved me that this guy loved his son even posthumously. So clearly this is a really uncomfortable experience for Miles. You know, it's super comfortable, though. That corduroy jacket that he's rocking. I love corduroy jackets. And while you do love the Hot Topic Miles look, like if this is his professional getup, I'm a fan. You're feeling it. I like it. the way Miles is dressing himself here. The corduroy jacket. He's abs- he's he's like uh, trying to come across like, you know, not just your regular medium. You know, I'm dressed like a college professor working in, in New England in the fall. I'm I'm here to to give you the educational variety of talking with your dad. I'm not your your Miss Cleo. Call me at three a.m. You know I'm I'm a I'm a good guy. I wear corduroy jackets. Yeah, I love a corduroy jacket. I can't really rock it. I'm sure you can, Josh. Ah, uh, I don't know. I gotta try. I gotta try it again. Should I? Yes or no? Everybody, write in. Should I try a corduroy I jacket? I think you should. It's it's in my opinion, it's about the shoulders. Uh, and I, I feel like you have the shoulders for it. Yeah, maybe. Um, outside of Mr. Gray's house comes Naomi. Uh, Naomi shows up and says, hey, I've been following you. You seem pretty cool. You want to go out and uh, have a go to a restaurant and I'll tell you about a, a job? And he's like, yeah. Uh, which we know that he's already into Naomi because he does say that later on. Like, she was hot. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. Na- Miles is grieving of Naomi. And good on Naomi. You know, it feels like we very rarely see Naomi's recruiting skills from what I remember, right? Like, all we saw in Confirmed Dead was uh, was that Lance Reddick basically put the photos in front of her, right? Is like, this is your team. Uh, we didn't see her necessarily go around and recruit people. Here we actually get to see it. And she knows what Miles wants, right? She's like, hey, I'm hot. Come talk with me for a little bit. And maybe I'll talk to you about a job as well. It's like every single syllable that she's saying is something that Miles wants to hear. He wants to know more. Um, in 1977, Kate is going to come to Roger Linus. Be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about everything. I'm sure that everything's going to be just fine. And Roger's like, oh, I don't know. It's not great. My son's been shot. He's gone. I'm pretty far from okay. And Kate just keeps insisting like, I just have this feeling it's going to work out. And Roger eventually is like, all right, so you're talking in a way in which you are insinuating that you know something, and I think this is very creepy at best, and I think you're involved at worst. And Kate's like, I probably should have stopped speaking to you a couple of episodes ago. This was a mistake. Uh, I love Kate. This is a big error. Huge tactical error. And this is like the classic, like, we don't know how to write Kate in a way that is respectful, so we have to make her a doof who ruins everything. Right, it's very much the um the the hunting party thing of like Kate doesn't listen to directions and she's headstrong and does her own thing and she gets in trouble for it because yeah, Roger Lyons is going to point out later on like she has a really odd vested interest in her kid, in his kid, right? She was the one that was giving blood. And so they had a little bit of like a friendship as well brewing, but understandably this is a step too far. Just yeah. not not even like the reaching out to comfort him, but more so constantly alleviating him of like you never know something might be happening everything happens for a reason and it's like if roger linus's senses are understandably heightened the paranoia is there of like clearly there is some sort of inside job because these people let the hostel go and they kidnapped my son like clearly there's a mole going on here if you go around and start talking shady like that it is a pretty bad look so yeah i think 
after a really great episode for Kate a couple episodes ago, I think we are unfortunately defaulting to some not-so-great moments from Kate here when she, I think, wants to support Roger here. She genuinely feels for him in that moment, but in doing so, she is exposing her cover, which uh, really does not help things. It's not awesome. Again, to say that uh, phrase, it's not awesome. Um, So let's cut to an awesome conversation between Hurley and Miles as they're driving along. They're going to uh, talk shop about their I can speak with dead people powers, and it will culminate in the central reveal of the episode sound number three. I don't know why you won't just admit it. You can trust me. I talk to lots of dead people. So you have conversations with them like they're your pals? Sure, all the time. Sometimes we even play chess. You actually see them? Of course. Why wouldn't I? Because that's not how it works. Aha! You wouldn't know how it works unless you can do it. What I can do has nothing to do with chatting with ghosts, you nitwit. It's a feeling, a sense. When somebody's dead... Their brain stops functioning, which means there's no more talking. It's just who they were and whatever they knew before they died. That's how it works for me. Great. I'm happy for you. You're just jealous my power is better than yours. We're here. I shut the hell up and deliver your damn sandwiches. doing here um he came to deliver lunch to their work crew lunch the instructions were to come alone don't worry i won't tell anyone about the body he knows i'm sorry sir he he was rooting around in the back and he saw it dude i can keep a secret well you'd better early because if you think working in the kitchen is bad i like the kitchen how do you feel about polar bear feces? Because if you breathe one word of this, I'll have you shipped to Hydra Island so you can weigh turds for their ridiculous experiments. Gross. You too. Get the package inside. And you. Stay here till I get back. You think you can handle that? Yes, sir. That guy's a total douche. A douche is my dad. <laughs> Pierre Chang is crazy. His threats are early. It's so specific. Wow, two poop jokes in one episode. Yeah, I mean, it's because he's done it before, right? Like, he has very much enlisted this punishment in the past, and that's why he's easily able to do it again. Let me admit something. I have made it clear during our podcast for Every Man for Himself that Dear Goo Goo Gaga is my favorite line in Lost. 
But on the Mount Rushmore for me, to be candid, is <laughs> that douche is my dad. That douche I, is my dad. I love it. It's so ridiculous. And it represents just like peak lost twistiness, right? And specifically, the use of the term douche is real fun <laughs> as well. That <laughs> douche is my love, dad. Do you want to be shoveling polar bear feces? What is the exact line? Let me pull up the transcript. Polar yeah, bear think, feces, some yeah, he says, you like know, you'd be weighing, weighing polar bear turds for their, like, stupid experiments, I think, is is to paraphrase what he says. Yeah. Cheng, you- so, so that's the thing. As much as we're talking about douches, Pierre Cheng uses the term turd. So, like, yeah. all these guys are speaking dude bro this episode. Yeah, if you think working in the kitchen is bad, well, I like the kitchen. Well, how do you feel about polar bear feces? It's such an escalation. It's yeah. so- <laughs> he's just kicking it up several notches, Mike. Uh, well, I wonder what ex- what crazy. exactly are the experiments? I guess are they testing like the fish biscuit consistency? Are they? drugging these polar bears why are they weighing these turds oh my god i don't know there's some sort of experiment maybe to see if there's some sort of electromagnetic power in the turds Ooh, Uh, that could be a thing yeah electromagnetic poop yeah it could be uh because if you breathe one word of this i'll have you shipped to hydra island so you can weigh turds for their ridiculous experiments uh it's just absolutely incredible and hurley's response of gross it's just so, so, so clutch. It's so good. It's very, 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 very yeah. funny. Though, I mean, and Hurley's great, but also big Hurley move, right? To to reveal, oh, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to say anything about the body. As if to, like, any implication that he was not in the know about what was happening goes completely out the window with him saying, oh, yeah, I know your secret, but don't worry, I'm going to keep it. And that's Hurley. Again, it's why we love the character. Uh, he, he can keep some secrets, but really he is an open book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, very funny. That douche is my dad is an extraordinary way of uh, delivering of you know like really answering a major uh a major plot twist right yeah. like i mean this was something that has uh has been in the mix uh in like the in the theory ether for a while and then they kind of just drop it with this very casual funny line of that douche is my dad it's one of the it, i think it's it's a Mount Rushmore line for you, Mike. But I I think like even like taking it uh a little seriously as not just a joke. I think this line to unpack it is uh is really emblematic of why Lost is so great because okay. it can, it can have like big narrative plot packed power while also having levity uh and humor to it. And also being deeply entrenched in character. It's just such a character-driven way for Miles to reveal this information. That is Mm. how he would phrase it. Uh, So I think that douche is my dad is an incredible line on several (laughs) levels. Oh, I love it. The more you... It's an iceberg. The more you think about it, it has so many layers within it. That is amazing. And also, I mean, let's let's talk about the Star Wars of it all. Because I think the Star Wars talk is going to start... Here, obviously, this is a bit of an inversion of the whole Darth Vader-Luke stuff, right? Darth Vader, the father, is the one to reveal the parentage to the son. In this moment, it's the son who's revealing the parentage, not to the father in this moment, but to the audience. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I am your father. What if it's like, uh, uh, my father was a douche? No, 
I am the douche. No, I am your father. <laughs> well, that douche is your father. Yeah. Who is me? <laughs> no, no, it would be, be like, you cut off my hand. You're a douche. Well, that douche is your dad. <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so we go into a flashback, uh, and this is Naomi with Miles on the audition with this body on the slab. I think Miles is like, you said you were taking me out to dinner. Uh, she's like, no, I said I'd take you yeah. to a restaurant. Well, feast on this body. This is the true test. Are you a cannibal like the rest of us? <laughs> Hannibal? Uh, so it's Felix. He was delivering yeah. something to a guy named Whitmore. Right. So I believe, and Lostpedia says this, but I did not put two and two together here. They seem to imply that the papers they had, which was about the photos of the empty graves and the purchase order for the plane, these are the papers intercepted by... Tom Friendly and or the others, and that's the paper that he shows to Michael in Meet Kevin Johnson. Huh. That the reason why Friendly has this intel is because I guess they were able to get to Felix and kill him. Got it. Interesting. Okay. Um, that's cool. You know, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was pretty happy, in fact, to leave Meet Kevin Johnson behind. No, I'm, I'm bringing it back up, Josh. Much like Miles, you can't bury the past, right? I you gotta speak right. to it in a manner of speaking. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting that, I mean, Meet Kevin Johnson is also another, like, I guess it also sets this in the timeline. We're going to get this later, right? When Bram's like, oh, they came to a couple, uh, you know, you're about to get on the Kahana. But I think this is firmly putting things in that few week period before everyone gets in the Kahana and season four truly begins. Uh, yeah. So she's like, come with us. We need you. He's like, I don't really want to do it. She's like, we'll pay you $1.6 million. It goes, when do we leave? Yes. I now would uh, like to says, come. Yeah. Help me, Milestrom. You're my only hope. But this is interesting. So, and this goes back to a big, a bit of the confirmed dead stuff, right? About what was each person supposed to do. So it seems like they wanted to recruit Miles to, I guess, talk to the people that Ben killed to get more info on him. Is that what she's implying here? And Maybe. Do you think that's, and do you think they, that's actually what they wanted with him? Um, yeah, I think that like if they know that they've got access to a guy who can, uh, who can who can speak with the dead. Um, and if they know that they're going to a place where there's a lot of dead people that, especially like if Charles Widmore is, you know, the former leader of the others, uh, and we suspect that the others have an ability to speak with the whispers with the dead. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, then like having a guy like miles would be very useful to be able to commune with the dead, knowing from Charles's perspective that communing with the dead is a very useful thing to have on the island. So I think that he is like a, a very valuable person to have on that expedition for that reason. That being said, he doesn't really do that uh, because, you know, things go pear-shaped. No, this uh, whole thing is a very sloppy assignment. They do a really bad job, and uh, we probably weren't hard enough on Charles Widmore for putting together such a terrible trash right. team of people uh, in terms of uh, not necessarily the people themselves, but in terms of, like, engendering them to his cause. Right, or at least organizing themselves in a way Again, to be like, okay, maybe we'll put, you know, someone on the chopper with these four to help lead them instead of what happened where they were seemingly like just randomly wandering around the island doing different things at different points in time. So it's interesting to get a sense as to what the the mission is 
here. I guess good on Naomi for recruiting him, though. It, it seems like money is really the reason behind it. Money and, talks. Uh, money talks. And, you know, with the $1.6 million is going to be a key figure, not only in this episode, but going all the way back to Eggtown, baby, when Miles is going to make that random claim for money in exchange for Benjamin Linus. Yeah, so we'll, we'll hear more about that in a little bit. Um, let's go back to 1977, Hurley and Miles. They have much to discuss based on this most recent revelation. Sound number four. So, anyway... I don't want to talk about it. Are you kidding me? How weird is it that your dad is that dude from all those movies? I mean, back then he was called Marvin Candle. Was that like a stage name? Well, part of I don't want to talk about it isn't sinking in. Well, if you didn't want to talk about it, why'd you tell me? How long have you known he was your dad? Third day we were here, I was on line at the cafeteria, and my mother got in line behind me. That was my first clue. But all those Dharma dudes end up dead. Don't you want to save them? I can't save them. They're going to get killed no matter what I do, so why bother? I need you to take me to Rosinski at the worksite, immediately. You, Hurley, you say a word. Pull over poop, got it. What happened to the body? What body? Hurley. <laughs> I love the way Francois charges like we're like that's probably not your real name, so I'm going to derisively give you that nickname. Hurley. Hurley. Uh what body? Uh <laughs> so I mean listen, he's he's a douche. He he acts like a douche in this way. He's he you know shows some care for his family as we experienced here and because he left, but like he is very irascible on the job. So here's the thing, Josh. I really wish we saw that scene of Miles getting in line in front of his mom. Yeah, it would have been nice. It would have been really fun. I don't know if that's like a deleted scene from LaFleur or something, because I just want to see. That's one of those, like, I, I would just love to see the reaction to Ke- on Ken Luang when he sees that, right? Of just like, how how do you deal with that? How do you compartmentalize that? That's almost his more personal version of, my name's Mrs. Mrs. Chang. And he's like, oh, that's my mom. What do I do? It's his Marty McFly moment, and I wish we saw it. I get that, uh, and I and I don't disagree with it, but I think you would have to have it in this episode, um, because otherwise the that douche is my dad doesn't land right. Like right. I think like it, it like that's probably too overt in order to like I think like the breadcrumbs that are leading to this reveal that he's Pierre Chang's son are maybe like too subtle along the way that's what i was gonna say maybe because we've seen only pierre chang in namaste that's basically it and he wasn't in any scenes with miles so maybe that's a way to like not necessarily have him standing of course the know, beginning on, of the season too let's right. forget yes oh well, yeah of course we're talking i guess we're talking about more adult miles than baby mm-hmm. miles yeah. but even just this idea of like have a scene with mr and mrs chang and like cut to a miles reaction you know that to your point i think that might be a breadcrumb that we really haven't gotten too much up to this point but maybe it's because we haven't gotten a lot of pierre chang up to this point yeah i think that that could be it um i definitely get the instinct i think that maybe the joke doesn't land the same way um but we have the beginning of this uh kind of buddy comedy between hurley miles and pierre for the next little while Uh, and i just do love hurley like giving voice to the audience once again of like what about all the aliases Exactly. It's like, oh, what do you know about this guy? And this is also uh, a, a nice sequel to their conversation in Whatever Happened Happened, where they're disparate theories about time travel, right? Miles 
basically says, I don't want anything to do with my dad, not only for emotional reasons, aka, like, I'm led to believe he never loved me, so why would I want to talk to him? And B, it's a lost cause anyway, because there's nothing I can prevent. Whatever happened, happened. Hurley is still operating under right this incorrect assumption of like, oh, we can still change stuff. So therefore, and this will be his mentality moving forward, you can still do things, right? That, that the, the, the future's still malleable, in a manner of speaking. We still have some wiggle room, if you will, to work in between. So you could very much see their thoughts on the whole matter in the distinctive camps, depending on the way they think about time travel and what they can or can't influence. For sure. Um, all right, let's get to another sound right off the jump. As our very next scene, we go back to the barracks. We go to the Dharma school. Uh, as Jack is like, he's he's in the in the schoolroom. He's like covering for Roger Linus. Roger shows up. He does not appreciate it, even though Jack's like, I thought I'd help you out. You know, you've been going through a lot. And also, I've been read for filth for not helping your son. So I feel bad about that. Um, but Roger really doesn't care for the explanation. And in fact, he's just deeply hung up on this very troubling conversation he's had with Kate. And he's going to unburden these thoughts onto Jack. And the following conversation occurs. Sound number five. You came in here a couple days ago with that woman, Kate, right? Yeah. You know her at all? Why? Because she's got some kind of weird thing for my kid. First she shows up in the infirmary and gave him blood. But then when he goes missing, she comes to me and she says, don't worry. He's going to be okay. I'm going to tell you something, man. I'm beginning to think that she's got something to do with this. I should go to Horace. Reporter. What do you think? I think, Roger, that uh, you've had a hell of a day and that it's given you a very good excuse to go out and get drunk. Maybe that's put some, some crazy ideas into your head. I know that woman, Kate. She's my friend. She would never do anything to hurt your son. Sure. Nothing to do with the scene, but for some reason, the name popped in my head. Barracks Darmdarian. Is that anything? <laughs> Barracks Darmdarian. <laughs> Somehow, I feel like that's the thing of the episode. Barracks Darmdarian. <laughs> Barracks Darmdarian. Uh, who I believe both Hurley and Miles would have very interesting conversations with. And then the fifth time I died, yeah. I got a, 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 a metal filling went through my eye, and that's why I only have one of them. Barracks Darmdarian. Barracks. Listen, you think dead Darmdarian. is dead. Dead is dead until you meet Barracks Darmdarian. Is he just the soul of the barracks? 
He could be. No, he's bar- a, no. Is that the new name of the barracks? Is barracks Darm Darien? I mean, it feels like it doesn't die, right? Like, it's lived a thousand lives, so I feel like that makes sense. Barracks Darm Darien can also be the name of, like, someone who maybe drank from, like, a, a spring of infinite life, a la Richard Alpert, like, is in the Dharma Initiative and just, like, survived everything, right? You, you they, they faked their deaths a million times, but they kept surviving. They're what we think <gasps> is Pierre Chang, Barracks Darm Darien. He could be. It could be. He could be the one. He could be Barracks Darmdarian. <laughs> Barracks Darmdarian. <laughs> Barracks the more you say Darmdarian. it, the better and worse it gets simultaneously. We are defying the laws of physics. Barracks Darmdarian. Uh, so Jack is not talking to Barracks Darmdarian. He's talking to Roger. And like, I don't know. Is this Jack being like, uh, is this good Jack or bad Jack? Uh, um, is he not like kind of like uh, just like really like raising the hackles of suspicion here? N- no, I mean, I think he's doing what he could. I mean, I think it'd be worse. I mean, it, do- it seems like Roger's off the scent for now. You know, Jack, like, Jack hasn't been seen around Kate, so I don't think Roger's like, oh, he's a co-conspirator. I think it's more so like, hey, I saw you were part of the same orientation group as she, you know, on the on the straight and narrow. And Jack's basically just chiming in like, yeah, I know of her, and, like, I don't think she would do that. And I think he is speaking from a truthful place. Again, the entire onus of whatever happened happened is that Kate wouldn't do anything to hurt Ben, unlike Jack, who said if he dies, he dies. So I, I think he's actually doing something good here and i think it helps undo at least in the moment a bit of what happens like roger does not go straight to horace from here so i think jack does do some good work in this moment he's able to like you know again if we're using like a a reality tv analog it would be like if jack's in a secret alliance with kate and roger linus approaches jack and is like all right i think we gotta get rid of kate tonight and jack's like no but actually i think there's someone else in that group that we could probably get rid of i think kate's someone we could keep around for another day she's not dangerous and so they vote off someone else instead of kate i think this is good strategy on jack's part okay all right i'm fine with that i'm happy that i won't fight you hard on it i think it's a little bit aggressive but uh maybe i'm still just like a little shook i haven't forgotten about his uh shirt uh, coming out of the of yeah, the I wonder shower. if his uniform is just like clinging to him as he's mopping here. Well, we should also maybe that's though, why. That maybe he put it. Oh, that's what I'm saying is like he put it down to cool himself off because he knew he was going to go and pick up a shift. Well, we should also mention that uh, speaking of water, the clip comes right after Roger Linus coming in drunk as a mule, straight up drop kicks the mop bucket. Right. He's like, uh, Jack's like, oh, I covered for you because I felt like yeah, you should probably you know be in mourning for whatever the hell's happening. And Roger's like. What am I supposed to do? Just sit around and wait for these idiots to find my kid? No, I got to get to work. Obviously, he's not in a good space, though. And he just, like, again, shows a bit of that aggression that we have seen in the past with him just, like, absolutely giving it to that mop bucket. Uh, One thing I like about the scene is how Jack, like, just, like, talks to this guy about you found, like, a good excuse for a bender. Uh, This is, uh, you know, just, like, a couple of days removed since Jack's most recent one. Uh, yeah, and, so, and also that's the name of the director of the episode as well. Indeed, indeed. So I just thought I think that that's a an interesting connection. Is there um, a world where Jack looks on the classroom wall and like sees a formula and fills it out and then erases it? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so we go to uh, back to the van. 
Hurley's with with uh, Miles and and Doctor Chang, and now it's really awkward because he knows and Miles knows he knows, and so Hurley just like keeps like really leaning. He's like, "What's your son's name? His name is Miles. Isn't that interesting?" <laughs> yeah, again, this so this is Hurley not being incredibly subtle. Uh, this is from his philosophy of time travel. Okay, so so let me mention something here because we get the whole like, "Oh, do you like jazz? Oh no, I like country." So allegedly, this is a call to an exchange from the movie, Some Like It Hot, which the the sort of punniness of this title is based on, I gotta say, I don't like this episode title. Yeah, yeah. I, I think even, even Trisha Tanaka is dead, which I had some umbrage with, has connection to the plot. Outside of this exchange, this episode has nothing to do with Some Like It Hot. Yeah, it doesn't, but it's very punny, and we love a good pun. Right. I just feel like I wonder if there's something you do around like medium, right? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know, like medium sized threat or something like there's a pun that could be used from this situation. And I get you could go Star Warsy here, but it's just odd to me why they say we're going to make a pun out of a movie that's not even referenced barely in this episode that has nothing to do with the plot of it whatsoever. We thought it'd be funny to make a Star Wars pun about another piece of pop culture that is barely even mentioned in this episode. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm not mad about it, but I do just love the title. Some like it Hoff. Uh, you know what? Maybe Hurley finds out, you know, oh, uh, Mrs. Chang likes jazz. That reminds me, I should write the B-movie and make <laughs> it better. I think that's what I need to do, because I believe B-movie had just come out before a Shadigate 1-5 crash. Uh, oh, so my God. maybe that's what he's trying to fix. that's so great uh it could be it could be that uh he's got a lot on his mind especially that as they drive up to the swan site mike what is it that hurley sees yeah he sees uh two guys yelling back and forth to each other hey what's that number again uh and they're just chiseling it in and we just get the slow chisel by chisel to the point where hurley uh finishes the numbers and he realizes that this is the swan. And look, as much as I say that this can be sort of a non-consequential episode in terms of, you know, the main stuff going on, this is going to be the site of the incident. This is what the introduction is to it. And so it is at least dropping in this this hint that a big set piece for the finale has now been introduced on the show. Yes. Uh, so we're really like... This is very key, I think, to to getting us towards the incident, which is going to be the huge culmination of season five and really have lost up to this point. Uh, they're building our hatch. This is the hatch that crashes our plane. Uh, so it's not like this isn't like, I don't know, it's not a huge twist. It's sort of an, inev- an inevitability that like if right. they were going to be back in this time, of course, they were going to see this thing. It's that thing of like, oh, yeah, of course, they'd run into baby Ben. Of course, they, you know, see Ethan, right? It's well, it's inevitable because at some point the Swan Station was built. It just turns out, I guess this is unless you remembered, uh, you know, Redzinski's geodesic. I oh, know. I guess we'd heard the Swan before, right? So, like, we had we had heard before that it was a secret project, but now that we are officially seeing it, I feel like that hammers home much like that chisel some sort of reality of oh, okay, this is a major lost set piece that's being built right now. Yeah, it's cool. I like this scene. Uh, I think this is just like one of the like the fun things that like it would be disappointing to not have this if we were doing the time travel stuff. And of course, this, we need it because it's essential for the story of, of where we're going. Uh, so I remember watching it the first time and like not being shocked, but being excited. I was like, yes, correct. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it's time to revisit the Swan Station. Um, all right. Here's what we needed very badly. We needed a fish taco. We needed to drop said fish taco. And we needed to blame someone for this. And that is going to be Bram, who we are going to meet off island for the first time, having met him in 2007. Bram and his bros are going to pick Miles up <laughs> off the side of the street and throw him into a van down by the L.A. River uh, and have the following conversation in sound number six. Hey, Miles. Do I know you? Miles, my name's Bram. You owe me a fish taco. Sorry about that, but your apartment's being watched. And we had to try our best to talk you out of working for Charles Widmore. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> He's the man who chartered the boat you'll be getting on next week. And my friend, you do not want to get on that boat. Do you know what lies in the shadow of the statue? No. Can't say that I do. Then you're not ready to go to that island. But if you come with us, all those things you've spent your life trying to find out, you'll know. You'll know who you are, Miles. Why it is you have a gift. And most of all, you'll know about your father. I don't know where you've been getting your intel. But I stopped caring about my father a long time ago. What I do care about is money. So I'll tell you what. You want me to pass on going to the island, it's going to cost you double what they offered. 3.2 million. We're not paying you anything. All the money in the world isn't going to fill that empty hole inside you, Miles. That's sad, isn't it? You're playing for the wrong team. Yeah? What team are you on? One that's gonna win. Okay, so what what are they trying to do? So they're trying so these are the friends of Jacob, right? These are the the AOJ. Yes, this is the AOJ, Agents of Jacob, and they are trying to recruit Miles to being one of the Agents of Jacob rather than being an agent of Widmore. Uh, And they are saying, because you don't know what lies in the shadow of the statue, you're not ready to go to the island. So we have to start accepting that there are people out there who uh, who worship Jacob, who worship the island, will do anything to protect it. Um, and it is like their like kind of like fanaticism almost mm-hmm. that is that is driving them. And we know that they are linked with Alana, and we know that Alana is linked with Jacob because Jacob will absolutely visit Alana. We will see that. Right. And we we see that Bram is linked to Alana. Um we don't ever see Bram and Jacob together, so it is super possible and probably likely that they have never met before. Um I don't know. Uh, we we start with these kinds of characters getting into the territory where, like, very can, may I be candid, Mike? 
please speak freely. Where I kind of stop giving a shit and I kind of check out a little bit. Uh, yeah. Like when, like when I have to start like really making sense of the agents of Jacob uh, and they're like being uh, pre- presented to us as characters like Bram. Like I just kind of stop caring a little bit. And I always want that to not be the case. Uh, I always want to be able to take this stuff more seriously than I do. I love the show, obviously. We are so deep into it. I am I'm really out on the agents of Jacob. I think that they're kind of terrible, and I'm struggling a little bit to figure out how they come to be. Well, I think that's the issue, is that these characters are introduced so late with so little background that we can't know nor care about them. You know, maybe if there was a character that was baked within 815 who was almost like the uh, the AOJ version of Ethan, right? Like someone who had been amongst their ranks, um, maybe had been like touched by Jacob, found themselves by on 815. I mean, a lot of them were touched by Jacob before making their way onto 815, but like, you know, in the know about everything, they knew what lies in the shadow of the statue and they've been part of it the entire time. That makes you care much more about the Jacobian root of things. It's like, okay... This character represents the plight of Jacob, because that's the other thing, is that we're going to see Jacob, and then Jacob gets killed. And his re- he's going to linger a bit throughout season six, but really, there's not many people that stand to represent what he stands for. And so that's a bit of an issue, especially when you have someone like the Man in Black, his opposite, taking on the skin of a character we do know and love. And despite it not being John Locke, he walks around and talks in Terry O'Quinn's voice. You have a certain association there. I think if we had a character that was able to represent that other side, I think there would be more stakes in everything on that side. But we get people like Alana, Bram, we're obviously going to get everything with Dogen and Lennon next season that are either these one-off or really short-term characters that just don't give us much. And so we're not supposed to really, I think, care about it, more so what they stand for. I was confused about throwing him out of the van. Was it that he didn't pass the test and so they threw him out? Was it more so like what they do sometimes in mafia movies, right? Of like, we're going to drive you around, threaten you, and then throw you out and wait for you to make your decision? Like, I I didn't know if Miles had lost the opportunity right there, right then. I think maybe their thing is like, well, we are agents of Jacob, so ultimately he's got to make the call. Uh, so we gotta, we gotta, you know, leave the choice in his hands, but he's also really giving us a pretty significant no, so let's throw him out of the van because he sucks. But also, yeah. technically, the choice is still his. And yeah, it's, that's, 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 I guess it's a little bit of both then to answer my question, that, like, there was still a door open, but obviously Miles is not gonna take it. When he asks for money, they turn him down, but are like, oh, but you could find out about your father, and Miles is like, I don't want to know about that. Again, Miles, this is not a Charlotte situation, right? Where Miles is like, I want to find out where I was born. Miles actively ran away from this information until it was literally thrust in front of his face, which is where the entire conflict comes from in this episode. So I think dangling that in front of his face, that is not the pitch to go with. This is why Naomi wins out. Naomi knows that Miles speaks in dollar signs at this point, not in feelings. Yeah, well, the Jacob argument is often not compelling. Uh, So I suppose it's not that big of a surprise. But we are moving into this phase of, of Lost, I think, is a piece of it, too, where, like, feel like in like the, the you know i feel like i've definitely talked about this along the way but now we're kind of here where the casting on this show is so good for so long 
And then I think it really isn't for the end game of the show. And I think mm. in, in some key ways, like it's very good. Like I think Titus Welver is great. Uh, I think Mark Pellegrino is very memorable as Jacob. Right. Um, and like they they definitely have like, you know, like it's certainly not an issue of the actors themselves necessarily, at least not all across the board. It's a com- it's a combination of things. I think it it is it is it is writing of and and like the the lack of clarity for character um, meeting like miscasting to some degree because John Hawks is a is a terrific actor but Lennon is a shit character. You mm-hmm. know I think that um, uh, Hiro Sonata is an incredible actor and Dogen is kind of a shit character. Brad William Henke is a, a very good actor who's been yeah. incredible in a lot he's, of things. He's gonna be uh, in a future you know season of just with jeremy davies he's daniel so, Faraday himself he, he, he's so good in that season too uh he's he's re- literally season two of justified uh <laughs> it's just like absolutely excellent and i i really really love him there he kind of sucks as bram um the 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 name of the actor is escaping me but he uh played one of Vern schillinger's kids on oz the uh, jk uh, simmons character mm-hmm. and he's one of like Charles Widmore's top lieutenants in the season six storyline. And he is like one of my absolute least favorite characters on Lost because he's oh, just wow. so unbelievable. He's just like this little total derp. And this is somebody who you're hiring for your cleanup crew. The The sky is falling and I'm leaning on this guy. Uh, it's just absolutely unacceptable. Uh, and I think like it's just like it's miscasting. It's thinly written characters that are just not adding up. That has always been a huge hang-up for me in the final push of Lost. I think Bram is really emblematic of that uh, as like a first, if not like the first data point, certainly one of the earliest data points for me. Well, yeah, because I think, in my opinion, the pivot is that these are plot-centric characters, not character-centric characters, if that makes sense. Like, let's it does. Look ba- let's look back to our freighters, right? We like, need they a were- couple people to grease the wheels on the agents of Jacob Train, and we're not, like, t- spending any time, like, dimensionalizing them. Exactly. Like, the, the freighter people were there initially for plot-centric reasons, but we saw from Confirmed Dead, and that's why I love that episode, is because, like, we find out a little bit about them, about what makes them strange. These characters, you didn't even mention Zoe, who I think is also a bit of a sticking point in season six. These characters are created more so to service a plot of, okay, here is this person that represents this side of this war, and they, you know, spout some stuff, and they serve as a mouthpiece for the people behind the scenes, and then they eventually get taken out. I think that's a much different conceptualization of basically the characters throughout the first four seasons, where, yes, they sometimes had purposes to serve, but there were certainly elements of the characters that made them interesting first and foremost, rather than just saying, this is Bram, he's an agent of Jacob, Yep, that's his. That's those it. are his characteristics. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he throws people out of vans. That's kind of his thing. Uh, yeah, I I really dislike the character. Uh, and like I wouldn't say that like Alana is the first point here, but maybe the show thinks so, and that's why they end up treating her the way that they do. I think like they really really mistreat her, and I wouldn't group her in in this same department. Like I think that they had opportunities to dimensionalize Alana, and a lot of that, um, a lot of those layers come deliberately uh, as they often do on on any show but certainly on this show through um the actor's characterization rather than the writing um but then there is also like sometimes there are 
uh, like mismatched performers to to character that I think like their performance is not able to to cut them out in the same way that it works for for certain other characters. Bram is a huge example of this, and this is a recurring issue for the final season of the show. So just like planning that early as far as something that I have felt for a long time, and now we're kind of in it, and I'm feeling it again! <laughs> yeah, well, we only, we only have a few more episodes of him, right? Like, he dies at the start of season, season six. six when premiere, he, when yes. he's just like, hey, I'm the smoke monster, blah, you're dead. Uh, so <laughs> I think that's exactly how it goes. Well, I mean, Vader. when I think of Bram, all I think of is Bram Stoker, so I did make a vampire noise when, uh, like when he becomes the smoke monster. Um, let's do another sound. We are going to return to a much safer van. No one is being thrown out of this one as Hurley and Miles have dropped off Dr. Chang and they are going to have a conversation kind of recapping everything that's just gone down. Let's listen in sound seven. That Haxer building is going to be an accident. Then they're going to have to build a computer with a button you have to push so the world doesn't end. So your dad... Is he around, you know, when we came from, the future? No. Well, this is kind of awesome for you, huh? How is it awesome? Because you get to hang out with him, you know, get to know him better and stuff. And don't bother thinking me, but he was totally down for that beer, dude. You know, maybe he'll let you hold baby you, or you can change your own diaper. Whoa! Listen up, because we're only going to have this conversation once, Okay. I don't want to hang out with my dad. I don't want to know him better and stuff. Why not? Did he beat you up when you were little or something? He wasn't even around when I was little, you dimwit. I never knew him until now. Why am I even telling you this? Because you're in pain and you need to let it out. I'm not in pain. It doesn't matter. My father is dead. He's gone. He never cared about me. And nothing I can do will ever change that. But he's not gone. We just dropped him off. You want to get into my business? Let's get into yours. Give that back. How about we read your little diary? Is that a diary? See what's going on in that piece of granite you call a head. Give it back. Exterior Hoth, a little spy robot thingy, zips through the atmosphere and crashes into the snowy planet below. That's when Chewbacca shows up and blasts it away with his crossbow laser. He shakes his fury fist in the sky in triumph. Chewbacca. Rawr. It's furry. Furry fist. I need a spell check. What the hell is this? I'm running Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I'm sorry, what? It's 1977, right? So Star Wars just came out. And pretty soon George Lucas is going to be looking for a sequel. I've seen Empire like 200 times, so I figured make life easier and send him the script. With a couple improvements. That has got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, yeah? Well, at least I'm not scared to talk to my own dad. whiplash scene from like dramatic to flat-out ridiculous comedy back to the dramatic turn at the end it's so great i love it i I really love the idea of hurley like you know because this is this is why hurley is the leader of the island in the end Mm -hmm. uh because jack has come back here believing that i'm supposed to 
Hurley has been convinced that he is also supposed to come back here. He got the literal tap from the man in charge. Um, Jack believes that the reason he is supposed to be here will reveal itself. And so he is biding his time and brooding. So much brooding. He's just and mopping. Bro- he's mopping and brooding and brooding and mopping and not a lot else other than weird showering uh, and, and making sandwiches occasionally. Hurley is also making sandwiches, but he's not brooding. Uh, he's not brooding. He's writing. He's having mm-hmm. fun. He's doing something useful. He's going to do something for the world. The world needs a better outcome for Star Wars. He's going to he's going to do that. That's what he's going to do. This is a guy who puts the world at, at 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 the forefront of his mind and has fun doing it. This is the stuff that's like Trisha Tanaka adjacent. This, you know, this reveal I think is really in that wheelhouse and I love it. I think it's very it's very cute, of course, and it's funny, but it's also and it's punny as well, but it's also very character driven. Like this is such a hurly thing to do. It is so clear to this guy as a human being. Uh and it's such a clear indication of this guy as a leader that 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 this is the kind of thing that he does in his spare time. Uh Sawyer, much like Churchill, reads a book every night before he goes to bed. Well, you know what? Hurley writes the book. Yeah, and that's, again, it, it really, this scene entirely, again, speaks to the respective camps on time travel. Miles is, I think, as sort of a deflection technique, mapping whatever happened, happened onto Chang, right? I think he is not broaching the subject because he feels like, my dad never cared, there's nothing I can do to change that. He's essentially trying to cap cop Faraday's philosophy of, like, there's nothing you can change, uh, you know, whatever's happened, happened in the past, to essentially say, well, my dad never loved me, so why do I think I can change that? You know, I'm, I'm changing history, which isn't possible. And Hurley here is essentially saying, no, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to write into George Lucas with some, with some changes for Empire Strikes Back. Now we'll talk about uh, why he would want to choose to change Empire Strikes Back uh, over the other movies, which are considerably, I think, of a lesser quality than Empire Strikes Back. You know, I don't know if you write him for the gold standard of sci-fi movies rather than maybe the silver and the bronzes. But this is what Hurley does. And Hurley is also, it's also another uh, callback to Trisha Tanaka, right? And like what Hurley deems impossible, which is a much larger scale, much larger goalposts, I would say, than what others deem. Because it's an impossible thing to think, right? Like, yep, I'm going to be this random guy who's going to write into George Lucas with the script to make Empire Strikes Back better. But I think Hurley has been indoctrinated during his time on the island to make your own luck, right? Anything is possible. I've talked to dead people before. Who's to say I can't do this? So I really like their two respective worldviews on something like this and also how they come together. I think Miles is a really fun straight man for the Empire Strikes Back part of this conversation, right? Yes. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Mm -hmm, I think Ken Wang does a great job with the comedy of it, but it's like the wide-eyed optimism of Hurley and the more, you know, uh, the more blinders on pessimistic way of looking at the world in Miles that I think makes for a very fun dynamic in this episode. Yeah, I think so too. I I really, really enjoy it. And I think that this, this stuff, like, again, like, these moments that are that are very jokey in this episode, but are also really representative of a lot of the great things that happen on Lost, is why it continues to rise in my esteem. Uh, and and it, it's it's fun to revisit every single time, uh, and only more so each time you go back to it. At least that's been my experience for sure. Um, okay, so we go back. Sawyer like comes home. 
uh jack is there he's been uh like having like a he's been having like a drink with juliet or is he just like hanging out waiting for sawyer I think he was waiting for Sawyer. Uh, I think, again, Jack knows awkward, what to do. Then. He knows what to do just to, like, keep his head down. No, I think Julia knows how to keep, like, conversation. But Yeah, but I mean, given, like, their most recent conversation, like, uh, I hope there was an apology involved. Like, you were right. I was wrong. I'm a jerk. Oh, oh I'm sure he was. So Jack is here, and he's telling, uh, he's telling Sawyer about what happened with Ben's father. He thinks Kate's up to something. He's just filling him in. You're in charge. I'm letting you know. And he's, like, very earnest about the the reasons for being here yeah i mean he's basically like sawyer i took your directions i keep things super low-key so i just want to tip you off and be like bt dubs they're on to us and i mean it's not exactly a a great amount of warning because phil's really gonna blow the lid open about like three seconds later but again i think this is like a low-key but fairly good episode for jack it's not quite a huge bounce back from whatever happened happened but Spoiler alert, I'm going to give an MVP point, because I think he does a good job trying to, ironically enough, clean up some of the messes that his compatriots are making. I think that's fair. Here comes Phil. Uh, Phil, who has been watching security footage. He comes to Sawyer. He says, hey, I know who took the kid. It was you. So d- did Miles like not do a good enough job? Was he, he caught got ra- pulled on the, to the next yeah, thing? Yeah, I guess, I guess that's the thing. I, I, for some reason, had assumed he had gone through... erasing all the tapes beforehand uh but i guess he was interrupted and so phil finds his way in there and now has this sort of like i don't know what what is phil's intention here do you think he was trying to walk in there and like extort sawyer or like he claims try to give him the benefit of the doubt to like explain himself before he talks to horace we don't know enough about phil uh to like really know i I mean i guess what we know about phil is he is going to have no trouble like punching juliet and like hitting her in front of sawyer to like get some information Mm -hmm. out of them but that may be because at that point he thinks that they're like hostiles he thinks that they are here to like kill everybody and dharma doesn't justify or like make you know this guy a good guy and doing what he's doing but is he like a flat out like uh like serial killer psychopath is he like trying to extort sawyer here i don't know that you could like map that scene from later in the season onto this necessarily other than he's just a bit of a turd and yeah, he comes he's a, he's here a and he's 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 a weasel is definitely a right word for it and he's like here to like try and like uh like i guess he's trying to do the right thing here and like what's going on sawyer what is this what have i seen here tell me what's going on maybe angling for a promotion or something is not impossible but certainly was not anticipating just getting punched in the face now does sawyer just totally blow this is there a better way to do this yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? It's, you know, you and I uh, are firmly ensconced in D&D, and, like, when you're met with these situations, you could certainly argue your way out of it, which Sawyer is certainly good at, but sometimes, maybe if push comes to shove, you just roll for initiative, right, and start the fight, and that appears to be what Sawyer's doing in here, because, like, you don't come back from this. You could come up with a reasonable argument as to, like, why you may have been seen on that tape, but you can't say, oh, I accidentally knocked out Phil and tied him up. Like, this is a definitive step forward. I do wonder from Sawyer's perspective, if we're trying to read the, like, one-second pause before he does it, does he think, like, the jig is up, now I have to just, like, really go in right now? There's, I can only talk so much, and there's no talking that can get me out of it. I think that's certainly possible. I think it's a very convenient writing, personally. Uh, If Sawyer was able to get them embedded in the Dharma Initiative for three years, how was he not going to be able to figure some way through this? Uh, 
uh, before just like going automatically to I'm going to punch out Phil. Uh, I feel like there was another step here that gets uh, gets uh, sidestepped. I mean, could it be that these new arrivals have really like just thrown him in a tizzy where everything going on with sight? I mean, he has been in damage control for the past few days with everything. So has he just like finally been depleted from ideas and is like firmly at the end of his rope? I think it would suck because, again, he has shown the ability to carry on a con essentially for three years straight. Uh, and it's sad to see sort of the end of Jim LaFleur from that perspective. But I, I could see if there's some sort of like mounting exhaustion and feeling like everything's closing in that finally he has to sort of like break out of these restraints, ironically enough, as he's about to restrain Phil. Yeah. Uh, so he knocks him out, gets some rope, he tells Juliet. Um Final flashback of the episode is going to be the last appearance of Dean Norris. Miles comes back to him to give him his money because I lied to you. I wasn't able to talk to your son. And he's like, why didn't you just keep lying to me? He said, well, it wouldn't have been fair to him because if you needed to tell him you loved him, you should have told him while he was still alive. And he may as well look up to the sky and say, and screw you, dad. (laughs) Exactly. So... Yeah, this is a really interesting moment because, again, Miles was trying to come across to Bram. That ship has sailed. I'm sailing on another ship. I don't care what you have to say about my dad. But I think it's clear that his words are living rent-free a bit, that, like, clearly something is stuck in his craw. And he really is mapping his anger with his own dad onto poor Dean Norris in this moment, right? Essentially saying, hey, my dad never had the opportunity to say he loved me. I don't even know if he loved me. And so why do you deserve to do that for your own son? Screw this. It's also, I don't know, it's it's complicated, right? Because there's a bit behind that. There's also, like, a bit of a bit of what we saw in, like, Confirmed Dead right, where he tells the spirit to move on and, like, lies to the woman out of, you know, almost a a comfort. I think there is a bit of sympathy here as well of, like, I don't want you living a lie. So it's I think it's multifaceted. I think most of it is anger and projection, but maybe some of it is that Miles is not, like, a complete fink, and there is some verisimilitude to the stuff that he does. Um, So there's that, and when they come back, Miles and Hurley are parking the van they will have one final conversation about Fathers and Star Wars, sound number eight. Sorry I said you were afraid to talk to your dad, dude. Don't worry about it. I used to hate my dad, too. Yeah? He left when I was ten. But the best thing I ever did was give him a second chance. You got to be the best of friends, and although I may never see him again, I miss him. And I know he feels the same. My dad didn't leave when I was 10. I, I was a baby. I never knew him. And I don't want to. It's not happening. That was Luke's attitude, too. What? An empire? Luke found out Beta was his father. But instead of putting on his lightsaber and talking about it, he overreacted and got his hand cut off. I mean, they worked it out eventually, but at what cost? Another Death Star was destroyed, Boba Fett got eaten by the Sarlacc, and we got the Ewoks. It all could have been avoided if they just, you know, communicated. Let's face it, the Ewoks suck, dude. 
Okay, so... I'm this a little is a, tempted to give Hurley an LVP for besmirching the Ewoks. Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. I, I, I love, love what I love what he talks about with the with the, the the mapping stuff with his own dad. But I gotta say, I think Hurley's Star Wars opinions are kind of trash. Is I that love bad the to Ewoks. say? No, I don't think so. And I know that people are going to write and be like, no, the Ewoks do suck. And we're starting a huge flame war right here. And I am a slight bit nervous about it, but I don't care at me the ewoks are great they're super sweet cuddly little teddy bear star wars creatures that i love little wicket love that guy love the ewoks in the village and c-3po talking to the ewoks and all of the the stories that he tells and then that one ewok who doesn't make it at the end of return of the jedi when the atat or is it the atsd i don't know whichever one blasts him down and then the one ewok consoles him and of course the yub nubbing how could we forget the yub nubbing the yub nubbing is culturally iconic the Ewoks don't suck, Hurley. Your Star Wars opinions suck, and I don't even want your Empire Strikes Back. Well, here's the problem, even besides the Ewoks, because I completely agree, and I love the thematic nature, right, about, like, the agrarian, natural Ewoks end up taking down this hyper-robotic empire. Uh, I think I think that's, that's very fun theming, and also in line with a lot of the 80s stuff, right, about uh, saving the Earth back when people actually wanted to do that. But here's a couple of other things, Hurley. I don't know if you're confusing your own version of Empire Strikes Back with George Lucas's, but the way you describe the infamous I Am Your Father scene, that's that's not the way it happened, right? Hurley's entire argument is Luke overreacts when he meets his father and he gets his hand cut off. No, no, no. Luke it's gets his hand cut off, and then, and then he finds out. Yes. And but so I, that's that's an, an important distinction, because yes, I mean, Luke does have this moment, right, where he falls out of the whole Cloud City gateway, because, you know, uh, we'll rule the galaxy together as father and son. No! And then he throws himself off. Maybe the argument could be there for, like, negotiation, but at the same time, like, allow me to be a Luke defender here. He got his hand freaking cut off by his own father, who's like, oh, let's be friends. I, I would absolutely make a getaway as well. I And here's the other thing, in my opinion. If Hurley has a, pro- Hurley has a problem with the Ewoks, it is 2004. We have had Star Wars The Phantom Menace. We have had Star Wars Attack of the Clones. The Ewoks are your problem? <laughs> They're your sticking point? Yeah. That's the point in time you want to change? No! Well, no, go change everything with the prequels! Well, the prequels are too far off, so he has to start here. He has to start with The Empire Strikes Back. Otherwise, he's not going to be able to be successful enough to embed himself in Lucasfilm and change the prequels. I guess so, but if that's the long con, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> Don't yeah. map your problems onto the Ewoks. You need to say, I've got a 10-step plan to wipe that MF or Jar Jar Binks off the face of the Earth. Oh, and it's going to happen right now. Oh, my God. Uh, there's a lot of possibility here uh, that I think uh, we could we could really milk this. I would love to have an interview with Hurley. Not Jorge Garcia, but Hurley uh, about his uh, ideas about Star Wars and where things could go. I think it would be a very contentious conversation. It does lead us, though, Mike, into basically the end of the episode, which I love. I yes. really do. I love seeing Miles watching Pierre read to himself, baby Miles, uh, from a it's distance. It's so cute. I mean, this is when my dad, part of my heart, of course. Like, squeeze. And also, from a musical perspective, Jim Fells points this out in his video this week. You actually hear Miles' theme segue into life and death 
during that part, which is a, a really fun callback to what Hurley says before. You know, he's not gone. He's right here. I think it's a great connection to the fact that he may be dead in your mind, but he his life is right in front of your hands, and so do something about it. I think it's a really great way to end the episode that admittedly is not full-encompassing, as you may remember, again, this is going to come out much more. The cat's going to be out of the bag in future episodes. This is a good place to leave it, though, right? Yeah. With Miles absolutely refusing to do what Hurley's asking. and But then we see him, like, look over his father reading to him and realize in that moment, like, oh, wow, he may have really loved me. Yeah. Uh, and so from that perspective, I have an opportunity of a lifetime. Let me take that. Well, then, so Pierre has to leave the house, and so Miles turns around, and he calls out to him, Miles, I need you. And Miles turns around and goes, you do? Yeah, oh, it's so sweet. It's again, really he's, sweet. He's, ca- he's caught up in that moment, right, where, like, he's susceptible and thinks, you know, oh, having your dad say, I need you, really means a lot to him. But no, it's more so that I need you to help ferry in these people on the sub. That's beautiful. Uh, I really love it. I think it's a really, really lovely moment. Uh, but yeah, there are the people on the sub, one of whom is Daniel Faraday, who pops up. He says, can I get a hand with this? Uh, he says, hi, Miles. Good to see you. Long, Long time, time no, no see. And the audience says, same to you, buddy. Yeah, Where have been you a been? Minute. And he's like, well, I'll, I would tell you the full thing, but you got to give me a week. And also, I will only have the week. To tell yeah, you but also it's gonna be one episode it's just one episode in which i will be able to tell you what i'm doing um so we are back uh with daniel faraday for one for one night only uh coming up <laughs> next week now i'm imagining like these flash sideways fedora piano playing version of daniel faraday with like the yes. marquee that says one night only i love that i love that uh but we'll get into all of that next time out uh let us do the stars i'm obviously higher on this than than you are mike and i think probably than a lot of people and i really think that it's just an episode that that rises for me i'm putting it at a four uh it is a a really fun vibes episode some like it hoth for me Uh, i really enjoy the characterization of miles i really love the hurley content i just love them in the van i love the conversations that they have i think the dialogue is really snappy this week um i think a lot of like those funny jokes have a lot of depth to them this is an episode that i just enjoy watching the joy that i feel watching this one uh is similar to the joy that i feel watching a lot of these types of episodes Mm -hmm. on lost um and so i think like the good mood it puts me in is a contributing factor to wanting to give it a higher score um when i was watching it in the nuclear option when i was doing that binge of season five a few weeks back uh, like this could have very easily just been an episode that faded into the the ether, but instead, this was the episode that I was watching when I, uh, you know, I didn't need to watch this anymore because it was, uh, it was past the the reorder of stuff. Uh, but I had been so enthralled by the nuclear option that I wanted to keep going, and I got some like at Hoth, and now I was like hooked by the ending with Faraday, of course. But also like emotionally hooked in and and just like t- totally sucked in by the Miles storyline. Um, so I really enjoy it. I think it's I think it's a really strong episode. I think it becomes stronger the more you let it sit with you. But it is really going to be heavily dependent on where you're at with Miles. If Miles is not mm-hmm. a character you're connecting with, I think you're going to score pretty low on this one. 
segue to my score uh yeah so i gave this one it's not too long i gave it a 3.4 i think for me it is in the range of actually uh i gave uh meet kevin johnson an episode that was invoked earlier a 3.3 and i sort of put it in that range i think this is a more solid episode than that which is more flawed I think there is a little bit of emotionality missing in this episode for me. I think there is some stuff with Miles there at the end. And again, Ken Lang does an okay job trying to to work through maybe some hair choices and a lot of the stuff going on. But honestly, you know, I wish there had been more Hurley and Miles stuff. Uh, because I think there is some really meaningful stuff between these two characters, and maybe less of a focus on Miles means that, yeah, we're going to have this moment with this character, but largely he's going to be there for other sort of uses, is maybe my takeaway of the character that got sort of crystallized through this episode. I will say the flashback stuff is interesting, but not necessarily top tier. For example, we spoke about like the AOJ stuff, which is still a bit of a question mark. It's nice to get more illumination on him, but it was more so, I think, to service like, this is Miles' daddy issues. And I will say, I think that the other Dharmaville stuff is, again, fine. There's some good Jack stuff, but really it's more so to be like, and everything is starting to fall apart. There's not really as much character stuff as there has been in a lot of the other really great Dharmaville stuff. So I think that averages out to me at about like a 3.4, and their listeners were in general in the same area. They average out to about a 3.5, though I've seen some high ones. You know, I've seen it go as high as a 3.9, as low as a 3.1, and that averages out to a 3.66, and it's a little tight at the bottom, Josh, but this makes it number eight currently, much like it was stamped on the hatch itself the number eight episode of season five so far, below Jughead and above This Place is Death. I think that that's probably right um, for me. Um, I think some people would probably argue it's way too high, considering where we're at. Of 13 episodes in season five, this being number eight. Um, but I think it speaks to the strength of season five. I think season yeah. five is is so much more hit than miss uh, for for me. So I'm I'm fine with with where it lands. I would have a hard time arguing for it to be any higher uh, than it than it currently is. So uh, no issues with its placement personally. Um, this week we do not have uh, feedback available. We are recording these uh, these next couple podcasts in a little bit of a crunch, so we will get to your feedback deeper into the season. So keep sending that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Mike, this would normally be the point though where like, if we were to do it, we would address uh, the, the, the Benjamin Linus beatdown counter, which is mm-hmm. not something we need to mark this week. But what about the Kate alias counter? Has she been busted yet? Do you feel like it's time to put fake Kate Austin of the 1970s on the board? I think it might start to be... I think we could at least put it on the board and then depending on how the fallout happens in the next couple episodes, move it up or down depending because... Here's the thing. Uh, I don't think fake Kate Austin is doing a great cover here in the 1970s. I think that she's in last place. I agree. Okay, yeah. easy. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I that's think, the I worst think... Kate alias. She like she's really screwed this one up. Yeah, she shouldn't have said anything every... to Roger. She should have stopped like talking. 
Don't I think talk every, to her. But well, between everything with the motor pool as well, where like she's not even pretending to know what she's doing. Like she is for someone who has been able to create so many aliases for herself, a show about a spy. Uh, she is really in over her head for some reason in the 1970s. So I would even put her behind the short-lived ones like you know Lucy, the cap-wearing Sunday school student, and. Briefly, when we saw her, you know, uh, dye her hair blonde and born to run and then become Joan Hart to visit her mom, they got busted, but they caused so much less collateral damage than fake Kate Austin's doing right yeah. now. Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, I think that her being in, in this fake Kate Austin being in last place is something that totally, totally works for me. Um, let's do MVP, LVPs. I've got two MVPs. You've got three. I've got three LVPs. You've got two. Where do you want to take us, Mike? All right, so let's start here with uh, not the man of the episode, but certainly a highlight of the episode. I'm going to give a point to Hurley. Uh, I think he is making a lot of salient points about everything, and I, I just love the way he's absolutely approaching everything besides his Star Wars opinions, but I think that can be absolutely forgiven. I think... Much less than Trisha Tanaka, but I think, this, to your point, this is some DNA for how Hurley is as a leader and how he sort of, like, coaches others, I think, leads others to sort of accept their fate and change their decision. Miles ultimately does that. I think part of that's influenced by Faraday, but I like to imagine that Hurley's assistance is key as well. So I think this is a really good Hurley episode. He gets a point for me. Yep. For all those reasons, I will stack one onto Hurley as well. I will just smear that sandwich with some garlic mayo. Uh, and my second MVP point of two will go to Miles for all the obvious reasons. Uh, I think a really strong episode for Miles, a really great character episode for him. Uh, does nothing uh, that would uh, warrant the demerit for me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think pretty self-explanatory. This is an easy one for me. Yeah, if I had another MVP point, I think I'd give it to Miles as well. But I also wanted to point out, like, Hurley is the one being right here. So I wanted to make sure I gave him the point uh, specifically, because I have two other MVP points here. One of them is going to go to Jack, because I've talked about this before. I do think Jack is, it's not a huge makeup for whatever happened, happened, but I do think he is doing the right stuff here, attempting to cover things up, at least in a better way, in my opinion, than Sawyer does in this episode. And I'm going to give an MVP point to Naomi. This is Naomi's final appearance on Lost. And at the end of the day, she is able to recruit Miles to her side. And so I think that does deserve some service here. Because had that not happened, we wouldn't get where we are right now, literally from a timeline perspective. So I'm, I'm going to give Naomi a little bit of credit here for her recruitment skills. Give you, give, you know, all the, the scrutiny you want to Charles Winmore, but he has some damn good recruiters here, and I think Naomi's one of them. I think that's fair. Um, LVPs, a couple of reliable contenders. I'll go through them real quick. Um, Rosinski's here, so he sucks, so I'm giving him an LVP for <laughs> Rizinski sure. Rosinski exists, LVP point. Automatically, uh, what did I say? He's automatically awful, so Rosinski mm-hmm. gets an LVP point for me for the way he treats Miles and just talks to people. Phil gets an LVP because he also sucks, but he does the stupid thing by going to Sawyer. He probably played this one wrong. Uh, and then I give an LVP point to Bram because I also dislike Bram, and it's not cool that he uh, throws Miles out of the van without at least giving him the money for another fish taco. Right. If Phil doesn't have any sort of ulterior motives with Sawyer, the move is obviously to like call him out in the group, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. A call town meeting. Yeah, I think you call the call the council like you did back during the Saeed stuff and just be like, hey, here's this evidence I want to present. Because I think then at least you could get more voices in the room. Though maybe he just doesn't believe that Sawyer would be dangerous. I mean, I know LaFleur has been known to be angry 
So maybe that's not a person you want to rile up independently. I don't know. I'll be intrigued to see uh, what we think about Phil's motives out there. So I am going to also give a, a negative point to Bram, just because, again, I am conf- – they lose the, the battle here. If I give a point to Naomi for winning the Miles recruitment battle, I got to give an LVP point to Bram for losing the battle, essentially, with what they pitched. Uh, considering that Miles literally asked for money, he's like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think the feelings outweigh the money any day, and Miles is like, nope, bye. And the world could have been a lot different of Lost if Miles ends up siding with the AOJs instead and my LVP point, uh, we got to get back to it. I know this is, again, a callback to book one of Lost, but sorry, Kate. You had an amazing episode a few episodes ago, but I think not, it's fair. N- I'm, not a good look this yeah, week. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. It's, it's, it's a classic we don't know how to write Kate thing. We're just going to turn Kate into like somebody who bungles everything. Uh, so she just bungles this one, and I don't love it, but what are you going to do? Um, yeah, so, and I think uh, with that point you gave him, Josh, Radzinski yep. is currently making up the bottom three of the LVP ratings, all tied at negative six apiece. Radzinski is in the war right now with Charles Winmore and Benjamin Linus. He's on the hunt. Yeah, I think Radzinski will win, uh, ultimately. Uh, I think he'll get there. I, I don't think know. We'll so. see. I, I think Ben will certainly earn a couple of points for killing Jacob. Probably. Um, yeah. Maybe some MVP points from certain <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if only those counted um, for the <laughs> for the sake of the official tally. Um, all right. So next up, Mike, we are getting into the variable, the Daniel <sighs> Faraday flashback episode that I have said I think is the darkest episode of Lost. I remember this conversation all the way. <laughs> back in expose uh so fun to revisit this one through that lens this is so stephen king to me uh expose is as well but i think expose is stephen king and sort of like the sardonic funny stephen king with like the sick sense of humor this is not funny this is just straight <laughs> awful it's a really 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 horrible ending for a pretty good guy in daniel faraday who's gonna come back only to die uh he is going to try to change fate and instead he pushes it into action um i think it's an elite episode of lost i think it is viewed by a lot of people as an elite episode of lost is that going to hold up under scrutiny i think that there are some reasons why maybe not it's possible um i'm really curious to see where we land on the variable it is unfortunately a little too late to get your feedback in for the variable for the sake of that specific podcast we can get to it later on in the season for sure so please send that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com yeah, I am really intrigued to hear from people about the variable because, yeah, I would argue this might be like the climax and or highlight of season five. I think many argued it's one of the best episodes of the show, uh, if not season five. And I'm excited to get to it because, yeah, this is also a send off for Daniel Faraday. It's his lone centric episode much like we had one with miles now that we had this reveal right that uh daniel faraday was eloise's son now we finally get to have that and a little bit of uh, some implications as to how, who his father is as well but this is an incredibly important episode to set up what's going to happen for the rest of the season which is only a couple of episodes but still like this is the third act opener in my opinion of lost this idea of while we got the swan introducing this first one daniel faraday is going to come here and come up with this kooky plan to change everything. Maybe you can change things. And so we are going to see how much that is going to influence someone like Jack, who has been lying in wait, as you said, for the entire time he's been in the 70s. 
it's going to be a big thing. This is also going to be our last time we see Desmond uh, for season five as well. We take a brief break from brief break from the character and yeah whether or not you argue it's the darkest ending it is absolutely in my opinion the most tragic ending of any episode of lost i'm very excited to get into the implications of daniel faraday merely existing to die at the hands of his own mother it is wild to even speak those words so i'm pumped to put the variable under a microscope and take a look at each and every bit of it same z's all right we will get into it next week before we wrap up this podcast one quick thank you to our friends over at geico do you own or rent your home sure you do and i bet it can be hard work you know it's easy bundling policies with geico geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy it's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around your home Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Mike Bloom, we will be back next week with the variable. Everybody, strap in. It's going to be a ride. Take care. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.